welcome, welcome, welcome to the 500th episode extravaganza of the Slash Filmcast. My name is David Chen, and joining me today uh, is video game extraordinaire, host of the DLC podcast, Jeff Kanata. Jeff Kanata, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, David. I'm so excited to be here. The 500th episode. 500 episodes. So many episodes, indeed. Uh, and joining us today is also the senior editor of Engadget and knower of all things tech, Devendra Hardwar. Devendra, how are you doing today, sir? Hello, why are we shouting? I don't know, <laughs> but I'm going to keep going with this tone. Do it. Do it. And of course, the man who started it all. Editor-in-chief of SlashFilm.com, Peter Serretta. Peter, how are you doing today? I am doing fantastic, Dave. Did you know when you started the Slash Film cast that you would make 500 episodes? Uh, I did not. It was it was not even something that could have possibly occurred to me because I, I yeah. thought I would have left the show behind a long time ago professionally. But Dave uh, thought he had made 500 episodes like 30 episodes in. He's like, how many have we done? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's correct. Well, welcome to the 500th episode of the Slash Filmcast. Uh, we are not going to do a normal episode today. It's going to be a an episode jam-packed full of reflections, uh, both from us on the podcast as well as from you, our listeners. You can find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmcast.com. Email us at SlashFilmcast at gmail.com. And I want to just give you a little bit of a summary of what's going to happen today. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, some of your questions, answer some of your questions, and reflect on the history of the show. We're going to talk about some of our favorite slash filmcast moments from the last 500 episodes. And then we are going to do a countdown. We just did a huge list, a top 10 episode, but we're going to do another countdown. We just love lists. Just love lists. People like people Man. really loved the format of that uh, episode, and so yeah. we're going to do see something this thing on the internet where people like lists. I know Have it's you seen crazy. This? It's crazy. So Peter, Jeff, Devendra, and I are going to count down our top five films that have been released since the slash film cast started. So in the last five hundred episodes, roughly ten years, uh, we debuted in I think May or June of two thousand and eight. Uh, so it's been a little over 10 years, uh, but yeah, that's that's what we're going to be talking about today. And throughout the entire episode, we're going to be listening to your voicemails uh, to guide us along the way. On the last episode of the Slash Filmcast, I put a call out uh, to people to submit their voicemails uh, to SlashFilmcast at gmail.com uh, with your reflections, with your questions. Uh, and first of all, I, I want to say that we, we listened to all of the voicemails, and uh, they were very uh, powerful and moving and touching, and uh, yeah, I, I, got, I got emotional listening to a lot of the voicemails, got to say. Um, it's some good stuff. Like, I think incredible. we, we I, I often don't get a chance to go back to even listen to our episodes, so the show exists for me as our banter, basically, right? And occasionally I get some stuff from Twitter. It is astounding to hear from actual humans about what the show means to them because yeah. it does feel like us just getting around talking about movies once a week. Yeah, it's easy to it's easy to lose sight of the fact yeah. that a lot of people listen to this and they get something. <laughs> Why? Out of it. Yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, it's it's enjoyable and it's part of their lives and it's been part of their lives for 
years, a decade. That's pretty incredible. That's it's a pretty, pretty amazing incredible. thing to be part of. Yeah. And I kind of have the same relationship with uh, a whole bunch of other shows, too. So I get that feeling. I, c- I can understand it from that perspective, too. Like uh, Giant Bomb just celebrated their 10 years. I love them and everything they do. And that was really exciting to follow along. Have you guys seen that meme that's gone around that is the image that say that says uh, what it's like listening to a podcast? Uh-huh. And it's this little kid sitting next to a billboard, like a street sign that's painted on a wall, an ad that's painted on the wall of three people laughing. And he's sitting, so it looks like he's sitting with them, laughing with them, but it, they're painted on the wall and he's a real person. That was literally says, me in high school, so yes, it all makes sense. <laughs> right, what it's like listening to podcasts. Like, you're laughing with your friends, and it's like, cause they're <laughs> painted on a wall, you know? So great. Yeah, uh, and that's what a lot of people have expressed the, the Slash Filmcast means to them. And so, yeah, I, I wanted to just thank everyone who submitted a voicemail. We received... Uh, many dozens, tens of dozens of, of voicemails, tens and of uh, we cannot actually play them all, but we will play as many as possible during the course of this episode. I also want to thank uh, my producer, uh, Beatty, who like pre- single-handedly prevented me from going insane this week while trying to organize this episode and corral all the voicemails. Uh, you know, she like listened to every voicemail, color-coded them, uh, organized them, and so... I'm it's not just... easy to color-code things that are audio-only. It's really <laughs> tough. Uh, so she did a great job, and uh, she is also the editor of this episode, and so I just want to thank you, Beatty, for, for all of your hard work. Uh, it's extremely appreciated. So all that said, uh, I think we can actually dive into the episode, and the way we're going to dive into the episode is by listening to a voicemail that someone submitted. So uh, why don't we do that right now? Hey, Slash Filmcast crew. My name is Josiah Ward, and I live in a small town outside of St. Louis, Missouri. I've been listening to the podcast for about four years. Um, The podcast has been huge in helping me learn to critically think about film, and I've loved your guys' reviews. My question today is about how you guys met up and started the podcast together. I'm trying to start a podcast here in St. Louis, and it's really hard to find people who want to think and talk about film critically. Yeah, so just some advice on that. Congrats on 500 episodes. Can't wait to hear what's to come. Thanks. Thanks to Josiah for that voicemail. And the question is, how did the podcast start? Advice on that. Uh, So let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, The Slash Filmcast was not always the Slash Filmcast. It began... Over 10 years ago, prior to episode one of the Slash Filmcast, we were a podcast called The Watchers. And there was three people on that podcast. It was Devinder Hardwar, Adam Quigley, and myself. And uh, this is so long ago. Uh, Like, it feels like it's doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense, Dave, because Mark Maron hadn't invented the podcast yet. It's It's true. true. I know it's It's defying, like, the laws of space-time, but we Well, it's after Leo Laporte invented the Netcast, which is still a thing he's trying to do. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, we're somewhere in there. Twitter had, like, recently started to become popular, right, Mm -hmm. around that time. And uh, I – so how it started is Devendra and I, we went to college together. We were roommates uh, for a couple years in college. And – we shared in a lot of nerd culture together, right? We listened to – specifically, there's one podcast I would say uh, – if I could say one podcast was the inspiration for the Slash Filmcast, it would be One Up Yours, the video game podcast hosted by Garnett Lee uh, back when OneUp.com was a going concern. Uh, classic, and it, classic stuff. <laughs> so, so much good came out of One Up 
yours. Yeah, and like all those people who worked at OneUp.com, you know, have been scattered to the the game industry, but they're all many of them are like extremely successful and and uh, high profile uh, people in their own right now. But back at the time, it was just you know these people hanging out, talking about video games, and uh, I wanted to create something like that for movies, right? I, I think. Uh, I have had the experience where the whole time growing up, right, I would go see movies with friends and we'd have a conversation and I'd say, like, what did you think of the movie? And they say, oh, it's pretty good. And that would be where the conversation ended. That's, That's like, it. The whole conversation is just, oh, it's good. And and the conversation lasts like 30 seconds. And I found that deeply unsatisfying. And when, um, same with, uh, when I used to watch uh, movies with my parents. Kind of the same <laughs> deal, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, so Devinger and I, uh, we, we already knew each other and we'd been talking about movies forever. We shared DVDs in, in college and played Soul Calibur together, you know. And uh, uh, But I, I felt like we, we needed to have a third person. Like just, it's just mm-hmm. three people is, a, is an easier conversation. And I had randomly found this guy on the internet, uh, Adam Quigley. Uh, just from I, I was really big into dig.com, D-I-G-G.com back then. Uh, and we're really uh, aging ourselves with all yeah. these references, <laughs> man. Yeah, and uh, I'd met a lot of people through uh, that site, dig.com. Like a lot of <laughs> made a lot of friends online, and um, had I think I'd seen Adam submitting his stuff, and I just yeah. had randomly I think G chatted him, is if I recall correctly. There was uh, an actual community around dig, and I think even Reddit back then, like just in terms of uh, people who were writing cool stuff for their websites and wanted to get it promoted in a way. But it was almost like gamified too, like the whole dig culture thing. That, that, that's a whole separate story. But that's kind of why I I was interested in Adam as well. Yeah. Yeah. In the, in the chat room, Jordan Anderson says I still have Mr. Babyman on my Steam friends list. Uh, yeah. Yep. Still yep. still friends with Mr. Babyman, uh, who is a bit like the number one dig user of all time. Uh, and he's and a great guy. Great His guy. Tech yeah. podcast is still going. By yep, the way, the Drill Down going. podcast. Go the check drill, that out. The Drill Down is still going. So uh, I met Adam and uh, I just. Uh, I was like, hey, let's Skype sometime, talk about movies, right? And so we just had a Skype conversation, and uh, I, I think it was engaging enough that I said, we should record this and make it into a podcast, which uh, now it has, you, you has become... You totally didn't set up the Skype conversation to get to that point. You didn't trick Adam into that. Uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. Uh, I, I, I was kind of just like, hey, let's, let's talk about movies. Because I, I think I was very... Um, uh, even like much more risk risky when it came to like reaching out to people and like uh, just saying hi to random people and trying to like make connections on the internet back then. It it felt much more like the wild west back then. Uh, when also, came, I yeah. I think people don't remember the podcast is such a ingrained part of our culture now. Yeah, uh, at least you know internet culture. People who listen to this show and, and know podcasts and are have probably myriad podcasts that they're familiar with and there's famous podcasts and podcasts have been, you know, in Saturday night live sketches, et cetera, et cetera. That's not how it was then. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, there weren't <laughs> very many of them. It was a yeah. weird thing. People didn't know what they were or how to make them or how to do them. It, it, uh, it wasn't the kind of thing where you're like, well, let's make a podcast because everybody makes podcasts there. That's not the case at all. The, the technology mm-hmm. is so sophisticated now. Like there is, you know, anchor.fm. That's a service that you, with just an app, you can record, edit 
and launch a podcast just with with your phone now you know yeah i mean that that did not exist back then i was using like a sound blaster uh sound card on my like <laughs> pentium 2 you know what i mean like i don't even remember what i was using back then but like uh, it was it was extremely rudimentary, and I had to like teach yeah. myself how to record everything. And, and and many of the episodes sounded bad. You know, they they don't sound as good as they do today. Uh, I distinctly remember, by the way, like after we talked about because uh, I, I had like a sit down with Adam too. Like we all just you know talked to make sure this thing would actually work. I distinctly remember running to a store to go buy a USB <laughs> headset or like some sort of headset microphone. After that, I was like, okay, let's do this. It's a yeah. thirty dollar investment. It's probably worth it, right? Yeah, a thirty dollars investment yeah. that would change the course of, of of all of our lives. Yeah, uh, and so yeah, we we sat together. We started uh, doing this podcast called The Watchers. Uh, the episodes of which are are completely unavailable because the service that hosted them shut down. <laughs> and I and also called, nobody should um, listen to them. America anymore. Online. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually called Mevio.com. I remember. Yes. Uh, if you if you go to Mevio.com, there's it returns a four hundred four now. There's no website there. But also, um, those files do not exist anywhere and will never be seen again. Will never be. That? Yeah, people are like a, a lot of people have asked, like, where are the Watchers episodes, guys? Like, can we listen to the Watchers? Because they, because you know, some people are fans of the show. Wait, and they, no they listen- one, no uh, one saved the. I'm no, sure, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm sure, sure I'm did. sure someone out there has them, Peter. But but many people ask, like, hey, where are the Watchers episodes? And uh, I am totally fine with those episodes yeah. being lost forever. You know what I mean? It's because- like your early live journal entries. You just. Yeah. Let those disappear. Yeah, you don't need Let the past to, die. You don't need to have them around. Kill it you don't if you need have them to. Around. That's right. That's right. Uh, so, but anyway, we recorded the Watchers, and then we started writing articles uh, for our Watchers podcast site to like mm-hmm. uh, to to kind of spur interest in the site because it's really hard. Many people out there listening to this episode right now have uh, tried to launch podcasts. Some have succeeded. Some have failed. It is very difficult to get attention. For a podcast, for a one hour to two hour long podcast, so we would write articles to try to like attract attention to the website that we hosted the podcast on, uh, and try to get you know people listening to the show that way. In but but fundamentally, I looked up to so many people uh, who were film writers. You know, uh, I, I looked up to a lot. I used to work for a site called Chud.com. Looked up to a bunch of people there. Uh, Quint from Ain't It Cool News, you know, Peter Serretta from this huge film blog called SlashFilm.com. And the podcast was a was kind of my excuse to uh, to kind of talk to these people, right? It, like every episode we would have on a guest from the film writing world. Mm-hmm. And uh, those early days, it was exhilarating because back then uh, – most people had never heard these people's voices, right? Yeah, like yeah. you, like literally, you had never heard their voices like in audio form because there was no pod. Like podcasting was not nearly as huge back then, and so I felt like we are doing something that no one is doing, which is like giving mm-hmm. these uh, film writers a chance to actually speak with their own physical voice. And mm-hmm. uh, and that was really special. I, I do think something special happens when you put a microphone in front of somebody who knows a lot, you know, right? Yeah. You can read their work forever. And what you'll get is a sense of that person. You'll get their prose. You'll get like the version of their thoughts after many, many edits or something. I'm really interested in, you know, what do you what are the words coming out of your mouth immediately? You know, what are your thoughts immediately? What is the unfiltered version? Exactly. And I think I found that endlessly fascinating as we brought on more and more guests. And that's really the power 
of audio. Like it's it's all about this intimate conversation that you can't really get by reading articles sometimes. Can I interject here? Because yeah. I think an interesting thing that you guys started doing is I think Twitter was out at this point, right? And yeah. you guys started broadcasting live on I think Ustream or something. And this is something <laughs> that podcasts never did. It was yeah. Ustream, you know? that's right, yeah. And it it was the jankiest uh setup that I had because it was crazy. Like there was not nearly the infrastructure that we have today. Like I have now, I have like virtual machines running into virtual machines. But it was actually tricky to get a Skype call going and then broadcast mm-hmm. both sides of that Skype call onto the internet. There was uh, physical cabling involved, like just yeah. to make that happen. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. it was crazy. It was crazy. Um, but yeah, d- so P- Peter, we, um, I think that's how we got your attention at one point, right? Like we yeah, were. I, I- I don't yeah. know who exactly you were talking to. Maybe it was like the Geeks of Doom or yeah. someone, oh, yeah. and it got retweeted into my feed. And I, I just clicked on it, and I, I think I was in the chat room listening for a good hour or something because those those episodes went long yeah. back then. And, <laughs> yeah, uh, we had a lot of free time. Okay, and I think you said something like slightly inaccurate or or something. I don't know what it was, <laughs> yeah. but like I just like wrote a message in the chat, and immediately after I wrote the message in chat, Dave was like. Wait, I think I remember are you this. Peter Serretta? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. because um, Slash Film at the time uh, was massive on Dig, which, again, was a, c- a community that I was part of. And it was weird because Peter's handle is is Big Daddy Mac four thousand. <laughs> but I knew <laughs> and the fact that Dave was like, are you Peter Serretta? <laughs> I know that was odd. Uh, I guess we frequented other chat rooms together. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was uh, – Slash Film was like – pretty big at the time like like now there are many more film websites many of which are venture funded you know what i'm saying uh but at the time uh you were getting dig front paged regularly your articles were getting read millions of times you're building up all this uh, seo juice and so uh peter was you know one of the biggest film bloggers uh, that I knew at the time. So for him to be in the chat room was like a, a huge deal. And I, I have to set the scene too, right? Like I'm on Twitter. I have, you know, 400 followers, right? And we're all like, hey guys, tonight, tonight's the episode. Like tonight at 8 p.m. We're broadcasting at 8 p.m. You know, like tune in. <laughs> and literally like four people would show up, right? I was so excited for those <laughs> and we were four like, people. Oh my gosh, four people are here, you know? And, um, <laughs> but it, it, it just trying to like, convey like it was a very different world back then where uh not everyone was connected this is pre-iphone right dave, like, dave there was at least tens of dozens in the chat that's right, that's right. that was after a while it took a while to get there but at the beginning you know beginning, and, it, 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 it wasn't yeah. i don't know if it was pre-iphone but it was like right around when iphone one was launched to give you iphone was like, like mid 2007 right oh, yeah, yeah. so, so it's like right around then. Right around that, but not, yeah. but not also a mass market. Idea, yeah, go ahead. The idea of podcasting, the idea of like getting podcasts out there. Apple didn't fully support it for a little while within iTunes and everything. And there, there's a lot so, going well, on. There's there. no who, separate who podcast app yet. Yeah. Who would have thought that the like a remaining mainstay feature of RSS is is podcast? <laughs> That's literally all it is: is audio stuck into a podcast feed. Yeah. yeah. Or a RSS. Feed. Yeah. So. Uh, Peter Serretta reached out and said, uh, hey, so, so Peter, I, I, this is actually, I wanted to ask you this question on air today, which is we, we had, uh, you had tuned in live, you had enjoyed the the show, we, we had invited you as a guest, you'd appeared on the show as a guest, um, and then you had made us the pitch to bring the Slash Filmcast to SlashFilm.com, 
like or the watchers to slashfilm.com, which like we weren't called the slash film cast. There was no name the slash film cast. We had to come up with that. Um, but what was it that made you want to do that? Like what? What? Why did you make us that offer? Other than temporary insanity. <laughs> well. No, I, I thought it was a number of things. I thought you guys had that thing where where you were describing where you were discussing a film in a way that I feel like no one in public or, you know, I'd go to friend it, just like what you said. They'd be like, yeah, yeah, that was good. And maybe have a sentence or two about it. And uh, if I wasn't talking to other film critics at the time, I wasn't having those long form discussions about movies. And I felt like your discussions were very intelligent and uh also i thought this concept of broadcasting live mm-hmm. which I, sounds sounds lame right now <laughs> but back then it was like it, it was insane like it was, it was like, pretty like, cool no one was, was doing that and you know what is that we with, we eventually like kind of stepped away from that because it was just like too much trouble to like organize but it was definitely fun for that first effort yeah no and i i, I like that and i i knew that i was getting access to filmmakers and I thought it would be a, a great opportunity to get them on for more than like a 15 minute interview where they could have a chance to uh, talk at a greater length. And maybe that would be, you know, all that combined, I thought, uh, was what would, you know, help benefit the site. But I, I, I was just a fan of the podcast, honestly. Yeah, I remember yeah. the moment, Dave, uh, I was walking around uh, Amherst, Massachusetts, because I was still living there working after college. And I was walking in the street and Dave called me and was like, I think Peter Serretta is interested <laughs> in acquiring the podcast. And I just had to, like, sit down on a park bench for a moment and be like, OK. And that's one of those moments where you're like, oh, that's that's cool. Uh, this seems like a big deal. This is a big deal. Right. And we had that conversation. I was just very excited. But it's funny that we could trace back to. Yeah so much of what happened over the last 10 years to this one decision by a crazy guy named Peter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Peter has since been like extremely supportive uh, and uh, a good partner when it comes to the podcast and just like uh, allowing us to do extremely crazy things with the show. Um, <laughs> things that he probably didn't agree with, like, you know, inviting Armand White onto the show, for instance. Um, and <laughs> Uh, yeah, and 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 kind of it's been history. Like that, the rest is history. You know, uh, we, I think, at the time. So, I should say that that podcast statistics are in the process right now of being refined to the point where they accurately represent how many listeners you have. Um, so, I, I, when I give these statistics, I'm not. I don't know how accurate they are. Uh, and in fact, I would argue they're probably extremely inaccurate. Um, and uh, but back at the time, the Watchers podcast, we we had we were receiving regularly 100 to 200 downloads per episode. Right. And I was so like I was so excited about that because I was like, I don't even know 100 people like in my life. I couldn't even name 100 <laughs> people. Right. Like in my personal existence. Uh, and so the fact that like 100 to 200 people were listening to us, it was like thrilling. First episode of the Slash Filmcast was like a thousand downloads. That was like mind blowing. Like whoa, uh, a thousand downloads, uh, spectacular. And uh, it's been growing ever since. Been growing ever since. So, uh, so that kind of gives you a sense of what it was like when the show was created. And as people have sent in their voicemails about how the show has been with them through many times in their lives. Like, it's been with us through many times in our lives, you know? Like, we were really different people when the show began. 
Mm-hmm. And the fact that the show has survived this long, many, many shows have come and gone in that time, right? In the time since this podcast started. And I'm just going to... Many I'm, shows that I've made have come and gone. <laughs> many <laughs> of time. Jeff Kanata podcasts have uh, <laughs> been exterminated in that time. And and here here's the thing. Like... Uh, one of one truth that I have learned, I've learned many truths, but one of them is, uh, movie people have strong opinions on things, and when you have strong personalities, uh, it, it can be very difficult to kind of achieve any kind of equilibrium, you know. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, I am really grateful that the show has survived to this long. Um, Particularly to Devendra, who has been here since the beginning. Uh, obviously to Peter, who helped make it happen. And uh, Jeff has joined midstream, and you fit right in like a like a puzzle piece, Jeff Kanata. Um, so it's uh, it's just been amazing that the show has survived this long, and it's been very gratifying. What um, a crazy ride! I, I just want to say, like quickly, like Dave. Um, uh, you know, I think you've done a great job of like building this up, and we've seen your skills as a host get better and better every year as well. So just want to say shout out to you for everything you've done and managing the mental madness of just keeping the show together and everything. I appreciate that so much. Uh, Peter, I, I still not sure why you made this decision, but I totally <laughs> to this it. day, I think it's he still does pretty know. well to this day. It's worked out pretty well. And Jeff, by the way, when, um, so I can trace so much of uh, what's happened in my life around the show. And when I moved to New York, in July 2009, the very next week, I flew to San Diego for Comic-Con. I think that was, was that your first two, Dave, or did you go before? I don't remember. It was like that year or the year before, yeah. 2009 Comic-Con, uh, but th- that's where we met, or where I, I definitely met uh, Jeff Kanata, Dan Trachtenberg, uh, for the first time. And that was an amazing experience. And I think we knew from that, you know, from that point on, too. Like, we all definitely clicked. So yeah. it was a long time coming to get Jeff on, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I looked back, and uh, my first episode, I think, is episode 52 with you guys, where I was just a guest. I just came on as a guest. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Wow. And uh, we, we reviewed Terminator Salvation. <laughs> Good uh, to be that happens. Great one yeah. to get you on for. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank goodness my thoughts on Terminator Salvation are recorded forever, so people, <laughs> future generations can look back and thank go, what God. do you think about Terminator Salvation? Um, no, I was doing the Totally Rad show then, and so, you know, we... I vividly remember meeting you guys for the first time at Comic-Con. I remember meeting Peter in line at a Comic-Con. I, I think it might have been a couple of years before that. Actually, I think we met at E3. I was, was it E3? Yeah, I was at E3, and I saw you guys from across the way. And by you guys, I meant Dan Trachtenberg, Alex Albrecht, and you. Uh, and you were going to your car in the parking lot, and I, I like sprinted across the convention center uh, <laughs> to go say hi to them. Because, Peter, you were, you were a fan of the Totally Rad show at the time, right? Yeah. Uh, actually, I had listened uh, to Dan since his podcast that w- predated that. Oh, yeah. So, oh, wow. I was a, yeah. So I was yeah. a longtime fan. And uh, we, uh, me and Dan, uh, I mean, a couple years after that, I, I, I we lived right next to each other. So we became really good friends. Uh, we, we, we had that, like, joint meetup at Comic-Con, yeah. which is probably where... You guys met them, I'm assuming. Well, we spent – there was a, a whole Comic-Con where we basically all sat together in Hall H. And yeah, that, that was, was the fun. first time. Yeah. I think that was probably 2009 where, where I met you guys in person for the first time, Dave and Devendra. Mm. 
Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, that was it, before it, Twilight. That was before you had to like sleep in line <laughs> overnight. Yeah. So I remember we'd get up at like five in the morning, and that was considered like hardcore. Yeah. Like, and yeah. we, but we'd hang out in line, and that's uh, yeah, I guess where you guys probably first hung out. What it, what is crazy for me to contemplate is that. Uh, I have now been doing this podcast for a significant percentage of my life, right? Like over 20%. Um, and longer than any job I've ever had, than any, uh, than many relationships that I've had or friendships that I've had, you know? Uh, <laughs> and it's just been such a uh, massive constant in my life. And, if, and, and I, I think like, People should try and consider that, like, it's difficult for anything to last that long in someone's life, right? Like, it, it just mm-hmm. is I'm, – I'm not, I'm not trying to say, like, you know, give me props or anything like that. I'm just saying just because people's circumstances change so often, right? Like, so many yeah. shows have come and gone because circumstances change, because um, you have a kid, you get married or whatever. You move away. You move away to a place that doesn't have Skype anymore. You know, like – whatever and the great skypeless fields skype, of the skypeless america field, the fields of skype yeah um some sometimes you just want to go to antarctica okay yeah sometimes so. you just want to go to yeah and and uh, we don't have skype here man <laughs> Dave, it's what you're saying that you should start a week a successful weekly podcast with your friends so that you never part ways <laughs> no i'm i think what yeah, i'm well, saying is dave, as dave has always said is always go into business with your friends it never <laughs> nothing it bad never doesn't never work there. It, <laughs> I, I have to say there are a couple elements that I think helped us uh, ha- survive a lot of things. The first is the power of the internet allowed us to do the show wherever we were. Yeah. So Dave, you were in, you were around Boston. I was still in Western Massachusetts. Adam was in Sacramento, uh, I believe. Yeah, yeah, Sacramento. So it's like we we had that remote capability like from the beginning, thanks to Skype. Um, I think the time commitment isn't too bad either. And honestly, I think we had this discussion when we started. Like we're just going to do this thing. For as long as it's fun. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, 10 years later, yeah. it's still and then you a kept ton of fun. Six more years after that. <laughs> then we just kept going. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like a like a relationship that should have just divorced a long time ago. Well, I... now th- this time, like, I just want to say, like, it's still a ton of fun. And for me, when I don't do the show for like a week or two weeks, I feel like something's missing. Like mm. uh, this kind of serves a function for me that I think maybe church does for some people. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think that, uh, that that's something that so th- this person, uh, Josiah, who who sent in the voicemail was kind of asking about like, I think he was asking for like advice, you know, for starting your own film community. And I, I, I think uh, uh, that was you it pointed, a film podcast he went to do yeah, or film, film podcast, you know, okay. anything like that. A lot of people have asked for advice about that, that kind of stuff. And um, uh, there's been many like, uh, you know, uh, advice threads and blog posts on the Internet. I've written some of them. But yeah, Devinder, you point to some of them, which is like make something that's sustainable, make something that you can do every week. That's not like a massive people time like commitment. That's like step one. You know, uh, you, you want to enjoy talk to you. That's the right. conversation. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's um, something you would do anyway. But also do something that not other people are doing. I feel like everybody starts a film podcast and they review the same film that's coming out every week. You know, that week. Like, I feel like you you got to find some different angle on it. Well, yeah. uh, There's just too many things, right? So you have to differentiate somehow. I've seen all sorts of gimmicks coming out. Like, uh, honestly, one of my favorite shows right now is Blank Check. 
And what they do, they just like follow a director in their filmography. And some of that could be more recent films. And then a lot of that is just going back and watching older films and tying them all together thematically. There are a lot of ways to handle that sort of thing. Yeah. So think of uh, figuring out a way to, to do something in a way that's unique. I mean, we didn't do something that was particularly unique at the time, but we were one of the first. I mean, at the time, it was basically film spotting. Uh, seen unseen podcast and uh, film junk and like those are the only film podcasts that had any kind of listenership uh, when we started and you just do have an advantage when you're one of the first uh, mm-hmm. so you know either figure out a way to differentiate yourself or become the first of the next thing you know be the first, <laughs> first the next, like yeah. mixed reality podcast you know what I'm saying like be the first like oh, Snapchat man. you know review show like whatever that is like Whatever people are doing, like, you got to be first or you got to be different or you got to be best, in other words. That's the story of media, by the way. Like, yeah, yeah, at YouTube now, like, I think there is a glut of YouTube shows. So that's why it's really tough to start and do anything there. But we've seen some people uh, like we've brought up Mikey Newman and movies with Mikey and all of his work. Like, we've brought up a lot of folks who are doing that really well and really interestingly. I think VR is a good um, potential landscape but man it's gonna take a while we yeah. i've been watching will smith like trying to get his vr talk show off the ground and it's been kind of rough going yeah and, and, and if you are going to emulate a format i would suggest look outside the this the realm that you're working in like mm-hmm. uh recently uh you know on the slash film daily podcast we have been doing these writer room uh segments uh which uh we credit and we totally stole from giant bomb um that the whole idea of doing that but that's getting it from a video game podcast and no one's doing that in the movie podcast world so i feel like if you look outside of your realm for you know inspiration uh that's probably a good idea i think the main one by the way because i just started uh, my tech q a show the no more tech uh podcast like I honestly am just I'm not looking at stats. I'm not looking at downloads. I'm this is a thing I'm making just for me and not really just to like be super popular or anything. And eventually I'll start, I'll start caring more about that thing uh, or I'll start caring more about like statistics and performance and all that stuff. Right now, I just want to make this thing and get this like creative idea out and I'll see how it takes shape eventually. Um, I would say get started. That's the thing. Like everyone's going to give you all these tips. Uh, definitely. Have a good idea and just try to get going as quickly as you can because that's that's the most important thing. Making something is better than not making anything right now. Well, I'd also say one thing that has been a constant is you have to constantly evaluate if you're getting more out of it than you're putting right, into right. it. I've seen a lot of people over the years uh, just start something and then like don't they don't even enjoy it anymore. You know, like they're, they're not even enjoying the podcast or whatever they're doing anymore. Yep. But they do it because they have to. And that's just something I can't imagine. Like I, I make the evaluation every week or every month, uh, like a, a, all the projects I'm working on, like, is this something that's giving my, me more life than it's taking? And, you know, sometimes it's come close. It's come close for sure, depending on what project it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but it always falls on the positive side. And uh, so that's something I would just encourage everyone to evaluate. Um, but I think we're kind of uh, – so that's kind of the history of the show. And one last thing yeah. before we move on. Which is just that uh, we are completely indebted to every person who's ever appeared on the show, uh, who's ever taken a chance to like show up on the show. Uh, the show would not be nearly where it is without all those people. Every single guest who's given of their time, everyone who's been a contributor, uh, everyone who's done an interview. 
Um, so I, I doubt many of them are listening to this, but for those that are, uh, thank you very much. The show would not be where it is without you. So, uh, I, I have yeah. one more thing I want to want to add as well, um, because you know I was looking back and and thinking about the show and and the the episode I think that was officially me joining as a regular third chair is uh, episode two seventy eight I think, which is mm. Transformers: Age of Extinction. Woo! So a real real trial by fire there, fellas. Yeah. Uh, thanks for that. Um, and, you know, I, I was thinking about that and, and how much of the show, how established the show was by that point and bringing me on and how grateful I was. And I was thinking about my, my thoughts and feelings uh, about that. And I guess you could say my <laughs> thoughts could best be summed up in the form of a limerick. Here we go. I joined the show back then. Given the chance, I do it again in a heartbeat because the joy is and was hanging out with Devendra and Dave Chen. Um, it's probably the best limerick uh, I've heard yeah. so far. I mean, it's best in terms of like how heartwarming it is. I don't know how I felt yeah. about the meter in that one, Jeff. How dare um, you? Yeah. How dare you? Yeah, yeah. No, no problem. Um, but yes. <laughs> but no, I'm I, honestly, uh, you guys, it is a highlight of my week every week to just be able to chat with you guys and uh, spend time uh, laughing and thinking uh, out loud. It's uh, it's a blast. And Peter, I am so grateful that you um, make this happen and trusted me to carry the mantle forward with these guys. Uh, I, it's a, it's a delight and it's something that I cherish. So uh, thank you guys for bringing me on to something that you are, had already made and allowing me to be a part of it. It is it is yeah. a, uh, a privilege. It's been a pleasure. And, yeah, thanks to anyone who's taken a chance on us, including Peter and including Adam Quigley, who uh, helped us get the show off the ground. Um, I have alluded earlier, like, life circumstances change all the time. Like, who who among us has been in the same job or been doing the same hobby for 10 years? Um, things change. Uh, people come and go. Uh, the Slash Filmcast is still here after 500 episodes. We're grateful for everyone who's contributed uh, and made the show what it is. Let's listen to our next voicemail. Hey, guys. This is Jacob from Durham, North Carolina, with a question. You've been in the podcast game for a long time, like way longer than most shows have been around. And I'm wondering what you've learned about the art of podcasting. If you could go back in time 499 episodes and tell yourself something to improve the show, what would it be? That voicemail comes in from Jacob asking about the art of podcasting. We kind of gave tips about uh, how to start a podcast, how to maintain it a little bit ago. But uh, what have we learned about the art of podcasting? I mean, I, I think I know what you were going to say, Dave. What's that, that, Jeff? You <laughs> wish you had forced us to do limericks at the very beginning. <laughs> We've changed show. everything. It would have. Yeah. It really would. I, I, I would volunteer, Jeff, that we would not have made it to 500 episodes if, um, if you I think had we would have them? shot straight into the stratosphere <laughs> and all been given movie and TV deals. Uh, that's right. That's right. Um, here's a couple thoughts about the art of podcasting. I mean, I think I've learned. Uh, so many things, and I'm only going to share like a couple things. We only have time to share like a, a few things, but uh, I'll share a, a couple. One is that uh, you never know who's going to be listening to the show, and right, yep. uh, <laughs> and many uh, podcasts I've spoken with who are kind of of the same level as ours in terms of downloads and audience. 
uh, constantly surprised by um, who is actually listening to the podcast uh, because it's often filmmakers. It's often people who uh, whose work you may actually be commenting on. And uh, you should just try to be kind, you know, try to be charitable. And that's something we try to practice, but it's not something we always succeed at. Uh, but that's just something to consider is just think about who might be listening and assume it's everyone. Uh, I read something very recently that applies here uh, that I, I have now adopted as my personal mantra that I try to re- remind myself. I think Ram Das wrote something uh, that says uh, everything you say should pass through three gates. Yes. Is it true? Is it necessary? Is it kind? Yeah. That's a good I one. think that's uh, that's something that we could all benefit from reminding ourselves. It's a good one, yeah. Uh, another thing I think I've learned is like I, I feel as though I had a much more simplistic understanding of uh, how films were made when I first started the show, right? Like I think mm-hmm. uh, you know we, uh, we often have, and I sometimes still do um, refer to it as like, oh, so and so director did this, so and so director did this. And in reality, a feature film is the result of thousands, tens of thousands of decisions made by hundreds of people, you know? And so to say, like, a director made a movie good or bad, yes, a director has massive influence over a movie. But uh, a director did this, a director did that. You, you often have no idea who actually made the decision that led to that thing appearing on the screen. Uh, and so that's another thing is, like, I, I, I try to be much more careful about how I attribute um, – intentionality how i how i attribute anything like you just don't even know uh if it was a director's decision or if it was a producer's decision or if it was an editor's decision that caused it to be the way it was um you just don't know and so just like enter the conversation with that kind of intellectual humility when it comes specifically when it comes to film podcasting i don't know that it applies Mm -hmm. to like finance podcasting or anything like that peter (laughs) serena you you had a lesson right because you have uh, recently started hosting slash film daily yeah, uh, um, by recently a year ago, Dave. But yeah. uh, w- what I learned about the art of podcasting is talking to the right side of the mic. Because <laughs> for many good. appearances on the Slash Filmcast, I was speaking into the wrong side of the Blue Yeti <laughs> microphone. It's, he was talking to the plug. <laughs> Doesn't work uh, that way. Yeah, US so... Port. So if you listen back to those episodes, I apologize. I apparently <laughs> thought it was like a like a normal microphone where you speak into the the top of the microphone, but mm. really you're talking into the side. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know no, that's probably not going to help anybody. Very no, profound. Uh, is a good lesson. I think you yeah. just I think you just stole Dave's third one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have one. I have one as well. Go ahead, Jeff. Uh, this is this is something that came up uh, recently. Um, and this will apply to any kind of podcasting. I have discovered, and we discovered this actually on the Totally Rad Show, it is so much better to express your views, heated though they may be, from the first person. Mm-hmm. To say, I think, I believe, I feel, instead of, this movie is terrible, this thing is great. The, the objective tense, like to say that I have determined this and therefore everybody you must believe it, just leads to strife within a discussion unnecessarily. And <laughs> it, it need not be so. It is easy to just express things as personal opinion and that makes for discussions that actually cannot be personal and uh, insulting to other people. 
Uh, Peter, I think you had another lesson, right? Yeah, I learned this from Slash Home Daily with the, the daily podcast that we do on SlashHome.com. Uh, and I think that lesson is to record early and don't stop recording. Mm-hmm. Because, like, when you hit stop and, like, even at the end of an episode, there could be something interesting said. And um, w- we adopted that where we, we actually will keep in what we call an ed cre- end credits thing, like mm. a little Easter egg for people to listen to after, you know, our end segment or outro. Um, if there's something is some, something interesting does come about, um, because I feel like there I, I remember on the Totally Rad show. Uh, Jeff, that you guys wouldn't even talk about a movie, yeah. Before you started, hit you recorded like you would see the movie together in the theater, mm-hmm. not discuss it, That's not right. even have like facial That's whatever right. until you, you give, actually give no indication as to what yeah. you felt about something until the discussion started with the camera rolling. Yes, yeah. And I think there's something smart in that. It's basically like in screenwriting, there is a mantra of uh, get into a scene late and leave early. Uh, mm-hmm. It's the opposite of that. It's basically record early, <laughs> don't stop recording until late. Is 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 what the advice is. Editing um, is a great tool. Yeah, yeah. We've hit all pretty much the big ones here. Peter's, I I would basically call it uh, know your equipment because <laughs> every microphone works a little differently. Know all the settings. Uh, one definite thing I will say is just do your research. Think about the conversation you want to have and try to plan out how that's going to happen. I've guessed. Uh, uh, I've guessed it on a lot of shows, and sometimes it's just not going so well. I think some people think, like, you can literally just put a microphone in front of you and gather some people, and a conversation will happen. I think you could probably do that after you've built up a rapport with people. And if you think you're, you know, you know this topic so well that you can just riff on it, sometimes that doesn't really work out. So having some sort of structure really helps. And I'll just share one other lesson uh, that I've learned, which is... uh, Make it personal, and I know that's the opposite of what Jeff said, but it's not. It's not. It's not really what I'm trying. Like, just hear me out. Which is, we've been doing this for 500 episodes, so that is thousands of movies that we've discussed yeah. on this show, right? And after a while, you start kind of using the same language to discuss. It's just like you run out of words and adjectives right, right. to use. And uh, I think one way around that is to talk about more deeply and more personally how a film or a TV show or whatever impacts you personally, how it reminds you, how it, how it kind of like explained to you who you were in some way. Because I think when, you it's know, it's not opposite of what I said. It's exactly the yeah, same yeah. thing. As but, but it's yeah. like, it's like <laughs> the opposite. It's, it's, um, personal. I, I know I was just, I was being facetious. Oh, um, oh, okay. is that like without fail, like we've heard, heard people share their favorite moments from the slash cast this week. And a lot of people shared moments like like many, many times, many, many times. Uh, the one moment that people said they, they enjoyed the most or appreciated the most was the arrival episode when Jeff, mm-hmm. I think you started crying during that episode, Jeff. <laughs> and you because you you made it. Per- you were like, this is how this movie affected me and why it affected me. Right. Uh, yeah. You weren't like, you know, it's great sci fi thrilling. You know, cerebral, like, you, you don't, you, the, the adjectives were meaning, like, useless in that situation, right? Instead, you're like, here's a situation from my life, here's how it affected me, and, uh, and I think people will resonate with that. So, another lesson from uh, podcasting, the art of podcasting that we've learned over the years. Uh, okay, well, thanks for those voicemails. Uh, in a moment, we are going to share uh, our 
uh, favorite moments <laughs> from the history of the Slice Film Cast. Uh, before we get to that, uh, let's play a few voicemails. Hey guys, Ben here from Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. I'm a Slash Film Cast zombie from way back, and I mean way back. In the summer of 2008, I was lost. My job was coming to an end, my wife was eight months pregnant with our first child, and I knew I needed to change careers, but I didn't know what direction to turn. Wanting to find some solace in the theater, I watched Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and couldn't believe how terrible it was. I wanted to hear some other opinion on the film, so I googled movie podcast, and lo and behold, the Slash film cast appeared. I listened to Peter, Dave, Devendra, and Quiggles discuss the film, and I was hooked. That was a magical movie summer, climaxing with The Dark Knight. I couldn't believe you landed Kevin Smith for that episode, and I remember exactly where I was while I listened to that episode live. Now, over the years, I changed many jobs and I lived in many states, but my friends at the Slash Filmcast followed me everywhere I went. Now, I know this is going to sound beyond embarrassing, but more than 10 years in, I think of you guys as friends. I love Jeff's wit and humor, and I love being able to experience him loving to love things. In an age of sarcasm and cynicism, Jeff is the antidote. We need more Kanata. I've loved following Dave's personal growth and his career, taking risks to follow his dreams, even moving across the country. Dave, I'm rooting for you. Now, not in the summer movie wager, of course. I just mean in life. Devendra's knowledge of the tech space and knowledge of all things anime and foreign film has opened new doors of entertainment and meaning for me. As I look at my 10-and-a-half-year-old daughter and now my two sons, I realize two things. One... I'm 300% more capable of understanding Interstellar than Dave. And two, she has literally grown up alongside of the Slash film cast with your voices as one of the soundtracks of our life. For the companionship, the laughs, the love of movies you've given me totally for free for all of these years. Thank you, my friends. I'm wishing and hoping you another successful 500 more episodes and I'm looking forward to the journey and getting to know you even better. Take care and best wishes. Hello, Dave, Devendra, and Jeff. My name is Kristen from Atlanta, Georgia. I wanted to thank you all so much uh, for putting together this podcast every single week. You remind me of my friends when I was growing up, and we would talk incessantly about films that we had just seen, such as Star Wars, Blade Runner, and even John Carpenter's The Thing. I wanted to let you know how proud I am and delighted I am of you all in your generation. I happen to be a transgender woman and your generation has been so open-minded and so forthcoming with respect to diversity. It's wonderful. I thought perhaps I was going to have to give up my love for science fiction films as I transitioned many, many years ago. And it turns out that I didn't. I just had to be myself and love what I loved. And it's also wonderful that so many girls and women have continued Continue to grow and embrace these kinds of films that you talk about and love so deeply. So on that note, I just want to congratulate you on episode 500. I'm looking forward to episode 1000. Keep doing what you're doing. And thank you so much for giving me so much pleasure and joy every single week. Bye-bye. Hey, guys. I'm Jason Rhodes from Westminster, Maryland. Uh, I made something I'd like to perform for you guys. A toast brought to you by something Jeff really likes a lot. All this limericking recently shows you should probably all stick to prose. But only whiners complain 
so I'll choose to refrain and instead try my own luck. Here goes. You've made 500 shows. What a feat. I think you each deserve two buffer seats. And after 10 years of fame, you should change the show's name. From now on, how about Live, Die, Repeat? So here's my sponsored by Mattresses Toast to three culturally relevant hosts. Although one brief aside, Dave, please watch Firefly. Sorry, this should be thanks, not a roast. Thanks to Dave, we all love AMC. Thanks to Vindra for OLED TVs. But the surest of bets is that I'll never forget. Kanata has two N's, but one T. So come join me and raise your glass high to our strange little village. Don't cry. They'll make 500 more till that day we all roar at the great slash film court in the sky. Thank you all, seriously. Congratulations on 500 episodes. Thanks so much for those voicemails. And I have to say that that last one, I was listening to it in the car, and my wife was in the car, and she started spontaneously (laughs) applauding. It's too good. It is too good. Limericks are done. No more limericks now after that that voicemail. We are all resigned because that guy's better than we are at everything. (laughs) All right. Well, before we get – Honestly, all three of those were fantastic and and thank you all for saying we have more coming. But the – specifically, you know, people that have been with us for a long time and and people that feel represented and I just – I'm so – I just feel so good listening to those. It yeah, really is so means it was, a lot. It was amazing. It was amazing. Just like incredible. And like, yeah, it's like made me like, you know, got a little dusty listening to some of the, you know, uh, I don't know about that last one, but you know, some of them. <laughs> that, one, <laughs> so, um, that one is too good. I, <laughs> I reject. Je- Jeff was like humbled by it. He was humbled. Yeah. Humbled. I, I'm, I'm resigning. I'm finding a new line of work. <laughs> mm, mm. So, I, don't, I don't know, guys. I, I I didn't know that Davindra invented OLED TVs. That's, didn't? that's crazy. Oh, I did. It's all uh, me. Uh, b- before we get to our favorite slash filmcast moments, we got to thank all the people who donated. And I just want to pause here for a moment and say that uh, donors over the years have been one of the ways I've known that people are listening and appreciating what we do. <laughs> and sure, yes, the emails are there, and th- that's great. But it's just like it's so hard to understand. Uh, that people. <laughs> What'd you say, Jeff? Unless there's money. Unless there's money, right? It's so well, just hard like, to it's understand just... if you like us. Unless there's money involved. <laughs> it's just like it was kind of like this, like reaffirming, like, hey, like there are still people out there that like really enjoy the show. And I know it sounds ridiculous because we get like donors basically every week, but uh, but you know, it, it's it's difficult to make media. It's difficult to like uh, find positive reinforcement out there as a general matter in life and uh the donors have really meant a lot over the years and have really um have really helped us to keep this thing going so want to thank all the donors who, who don't happened to donate in the last couple of weeks uh new subscribers at the rate of two dollars per month ken Quat liu andrew buck eric johnson matthew Mankey, and joshua pole thanks also to donors ria j from seattle Eric N. from Dayton, Ohio, Jamie from Vancouver, British Columbia, Ryan Rosenberg, Joel Eklund, Nikolai Lukton, Rob S. from Burbank, California, Travis D. from Wisconsin, Christy Griswold, Jorgen Stockert, Mark Uvari, Stephen M. from Silver Spring, Maryland, Phil M. from Toronto, Canada, John O'Brien, and Mark T. from Frisco, Colorado, both of whom gave very generous donations, John L. from New Jersey, Alejandro from Middleton, Wisconsin. So John L. from New Jersey gave $2.00. For every month that the Slash wow. Filmcast has been in existence. 
And wow. Alejandro M. from Middleton, Wisconsin, donated $1 for every episode that has wow. Yeah. wow. Wow. So, uh, first of all, guys, what took you so long? Um, no, but seriously, <laughs> uh, incredibly generous. Thank you all so much. And, um, yeah, a lot of people donated just kind of to salute the fact that we've made it to 500, and uh, we really appreciate it. We will use that money to go pay for a ticket to go see M. Night Shyamalan's Glass next week, which yeah. I've heard is not very good. Um, Don't do it. Let's, uh, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. He can't break our hearts again, right? That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about is like <laughs> when we've had to like drive and pay for parking, you know, to go see, you know, uh-huh. bad movies like Transformers and Terminator Salvation. It's been the donors that have helped us through it. So really appreciate that. And you can always go to paypal.me slash filmcast. That's paypal.me slash the word filmcast to make one-time donation. Or go to slashfilm.com and click on the slash filmcast tab. Use the PayPal links on the side of the page to donate. Donors are awesome. Thanks so much. Let's get to our favorite slash filmcast moments. 500 episodes. Now, a lot of people... So, so I do not know what moments people chose for this. Okay, <laughs> so I'm really curious what people chose. Um, so, Devendra, why don't you tee up your moment? Your favorite slash filmcast moment... From sure. the last 500 episodes. Well, I have many, many favorite moments, yeah. honestly. And it took a while for me to pick one. And I chose this one because it happened very early on. But I think it was the first indication that I, w- I thought to myself, like, holy crap, we're making something kind of amazing and kind of special here. Uh, and I will not spill what it is. Let's okay. take a listen. Let's change it up. Let's A, let's not review the film because... <laughs> Far more qualified people than, than us have reviewed the film. Let's just talk about what we loved about it and just announce right now that it's going to be a spoiler-laden conversation. And if you haven't seen the movie yet, fucking shame on you. Shame on you. To have it. You deserve to have it spoiled. Let's just sit around and bullshit about how awesome it was. This movie fucking rocked. This is the I Batman agree. movie that yeah. every Batman fan has been waiting their whole life for. Yeah. And the Bat Pod was part of the Tumblr yes. there. That was, I mean, I saw well, Peter was good enough to, to invite me to a, a press screening. And so I went with Peter and saw it. Um, and um, afterwards, we talked about it for a long time. And I, one of the first things I said is I felt so fucking stupid for seeing, like, that bat pod image for months before the, seeing the movie and never putting two and two together that it would emerge from, from the Tumblr. Yes. Yeah. I was you know, like, I, I, when it happened, I'm sh- I saw it twice. I saw it once at that press conference, <laughs> I saw it once at the New York premiere. And both times when it explodes out of the Tumblr, everyone goes fucking ape shit. Everyone's like, <laughs> um, and, I, and I didn't have that reaction. Not that I didn't think it was cool, but my reaction was more like, God, I'm a fucking idiot. How did I not see that coming? <laughs> I'm fucking tired. Yep. Um, at, at the uh, at the junket, they had the um, the bat pod in the Tumblr outside, and I was I was there with uh neil from film school rejects before um before the screening we were looking at both of them and i was like you know it is kind of weird that they have batman lying down in both the tumbler and the bat pod you think they would do something different yeah neil was like yeah you'd think that, that is weird and we just walked away <laughs> like, like, like we were looking at both of them side by side and it still didn't hit us that the tires are the same everything why and, would you know, why else would they design a motorcycle with tires that wide there's no other reason. Once again, dude, it's one of those things where, like, when you see the movie, it's totally logical. But, like, in advance, I'd never put those two things together. And that was the only part of the movie that had me worried in advance. When I saw that, that bat pod, I was just like, oh, man, what's this about? <laughs> when it, for some reason, that it came from the Tumblr made it all okay with me. I was like, yes. oh, that's genius. Like, I went from being kind of like, I ain't going to like that bat cycle. 
Yeah. So like, oh well, my god, how could yeah. they have made a movie without a bat cycle prior to this? <laughs> <laughs> It, it also added up to one of the coolest action sequences in the movie, like when he yeah. flips the truck and he does the, the U-turn against the wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that U-turn against some, the wall some, was pretty pimp. So, someone told me that that U-turn against the wall was a callback to the Schumacher riding on the walls thing. I don't believe but that. But I just think it was just a badass thing. It, it, yeah, I yeah. Just it felt more like, let's do this, and they did it. I don't think there was any nod or shout out. That's like, why well, turn around if think... you don't have to? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what I loved in the movie, I mean, look, I think we all love Heath Ledger's performance. My favorite moment of his performance happens in that sequence where he faces off against the, he enters the gang meeting and yeah. uh, does the, the quote-unquote magic trick. But <laughs> in that scene when uh, the one dude, I think it, was it Michael Jai White in the movie? Yes. I think he was yes. in the, yeah, yeah. Um, I think when he was like, you're just going to steal all our money from him? You think we're going to let you get away with stealing all our money? And they just cut to him and he goes, yeah. <laughs> I thought that was a genius bit of delivery. And he had a, like, he was, he seemed a little, just a touch intimidated. I mean, he had his hand on a bunch of strings that were attached to grenades, but he, his yeah. delivery of yeah was pitch perfect. Yeah. Such a great portrayal of that character, even though it deviates, you know, uh, quite substantially from the comic book Joker. Right. Like, you know, here's a dude who elects to put makeup on his face. Um, it, it never felt like, even though it did deviate in that way, it still felt like the truest version of the Joker that's ever been put on film. That was from Slash Filmcast episode 9. Number 9. Which is from July of 2008. Uh, and yeah, nine episodes in, we had uh, we're able to get Kevin Smith on the show. Very grateful for him for appearing. Uh, and yeah, Peter, you had invited Kevin Smith to a screening. Of course, Kevin Smith is yeah. even more huge now in terms of his popularity <laughs> than he was back then. Um, and so, like that probably wouldn't be workable now. <laughs> but like back then, uh, well, it's was... funny. Back back then, he was a filmmaker. He was a director, and now he's basically doing what he was doing on that podcast for a yeah. living. Yeah. Well, he's, he was he's still before. directing now. He's still directing now, still. But um, yeah, but, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, he, like, he was doing smodcasts. Like he was doing his own podcast type thing, and that was also one of the early podcasts I was really into. Uh, but that conversation was amazing. Uh, it's crazy to think, by the way, how far I guess Kevin Smith's relationship with uh, film critics has changed since then. Uh, it's, had it's had its ups and downs. It's had its ups and downs. It's had its ups and downs. He has currently blocked me on Twitter, oh. uh, but I still love the man, and I love him for you know joining us for this episode, and also Watchmen, I believe. Yeah. My yeah. favorite thing about that clip is how you can hear that there really weren't very many good superhero movies at that time. Mm-hmm. Like how rare it was, how right. grateful everybody seemed to like have a good superhero movie with sort of uh, love for the source material and, and a cool cinematic take on it. It's, it, it's almost passe at this point because every other movie is a superhero movie and most of them are pretty decent. Uh, but in 2008, it was much rarer to have good superhero movies. So I love that. And apparently I was calling on uh, calling into this podcast from a tin can or something. <laughs> oh yeah, audio quality has improved <laughs> significantly. A little bit, a little bit. Okay. So I'm going to tee up my moment a little bit and uh I'm going to just say that you know, there's been many awesome moments in the podcast. Ryan Johnson coming on and and trolling me. Um actually that's still that happened in 2018 too, I believe. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um but probably 
one of my favorite moments, like kind of one in- inflection point of the show was our review of Inception with film critic Armand Dwight, which I'm going to play a little bit of right now. You ascribe a lot of um, intention to to some of what, what these artists are doing. Michael Bay we've talked about and also, um, also Christopher Nolan. And I mean, isn't trying for something that's unique kind of worth something in and of itself i mean i might argue you know in response to what you said about these movies for example that michael bay wasn't necessarily trying to make a commentary on you know the effect that consumerism has on 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 us as americans that he's just trying to make a, a really bloated action movie whereas christopher nolan was trying to get at a deeper truth about humanity and they might have succeeded in their goals to varying degrees, but but the fact that one is attempting something, in my opinion, far grander than the mm-hmm. other, makes it to some degree more uh, more praiseworthy than than the other. I mean, again, well, why, do, why, do you, why do you throw the word bloated into your Michael Bay description? Sorry, apologies for that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> wait, I, wait, I, wait, I, I don't think we need to apologize. Well, see, there, there you go. That's that's the bias there, and you're and you're welcome to your bias. There you go. But uh, <laughs> I, I I I can only tell you, you got you have to compare the you have to compare well, these things to I, know, I to know what, exactly. what, what quality is. Especially for Transformers 2. Like, I was a huge fan of Transformers 1. And I'm a huge fan of Michael Bay's big-ass, blow, you know, blow-up-everything uh, filmmaking style. But it's funny how much he sort of moved back in Transformers 2, where, you know, his camera movements, his action choreography just fell apart. He moved to the quick uh, editing, you know, movie uh, music video style rather than what he used to do. So that, that just seems strange. You know, well, they, uh, I, I have to disagree with you. And I know we're just having a conversation, but I also have yeah. to caution you about using a cliche like music video editing. Because music videos are edited in, you know, different styles according to what music video you're talking about. Oh, for sure. Yes. Yeah. And, also, and also, music video editing has been adopted by commercial Hollywood wholesale. And you see that almost everywhere. I would argue with you that Michael Bay's editing is better than, than the cliche of music videos. Uh, you know, sometimes... You know, you, in writing criticism, I try to make an argument. And sometimes I'm afraid, perhaps, after I make the argument, the only way to convince some people is if we sat in front of a movieola and went through these films frame by frame. And I, I by the way, did that in graduate school. <laughs> I, I, I've, got, I've got training and experience in doing just that and, and in watching movies as a result of, of, of that of that uh, practice, yeah, and and I can I I have I can say confidently that if we, if we looked at Inception on a movieola frame by frame, scene by scene, and did the same with Transformers, I I, I could show you where Michael Michael Bay is is far more panache, rather rather than simply talking talking out of my enthusiasm for it, I I think I, I could demonstrate it. All right. Well, but, uh, but, but you know, since since I don't have a movieola that I can sit in front of with every reader, I simply have to try to make a a literary argument. Okay, there are many reasons I love that interview uh, mm-hmm. from Ar- Armand White. Speaking of Armand White, by if, speaking of being blocked on Twitter by former guest Devendra, Armand White unfortunately <laughs> has blocked me on Twitter. Um, but uh, I, so that was episode one hundred and nine, uh, our Inception review in July of two thousand ten. And 
There are so many things I love about that review. Uh, and let me just name a couple of them, a few of them. One of them is that, uh, I mean, Peter, I remember back in the day, Slash Film led the charge in the Armand White, like, hating <laughs> hating industry, right? Like, it's like, oh, Armand White's the one negative review of Toy Story 3. And, like, Slash Film would cover it as, like, being one of the negative reviews. And you know what? I was so into that at the time. Like, I was so, like, F this guy. How dare he, you know besmirch the name of uh, of Toy Story 3 or whatever movie he was giving a like ruining the Rotten Tomato score of and uh and over well, time well, yeah, go to ahead. be fair David he he did get kicked off Rotten Tomatoes for some time <laughs> yeah yeah and and the thing is like I, I I feel like for me personally like it's been an indication of how I have evolved as a I don't know critic or thinker about movies is that like I I used to like demand uniformity right it's just like hey how dare you not think that way how dare you not think in the the right way about movies um but i don't demand uniformity but it, it is very clear to me even though he can speak very eloquently that he is pick, he is picking the contrarian contrarian point of view for every <laughs> uh-huh. single movie Regar- like, regardless of, regardless of, i think like what was great about that conversation is he appeared on the show. You know, he yeah. uh, he treated us seriously. Like we we have like one, you know, eighteenth the per, like the experience that he has in terms of film criticism. He treated us seriously. He like addressed our concerns as as best as he could. Um, and it was it is a fascinating conversation. I I re listened to it in preparation for this episode, and it is a fascinating conversation. And even though I agree with zero things he says like the idea that he could with a moviola demonstrate why michael bay is a better filmmaker than christopher nolan it's a remarkable it is one of the most remarkable claims that has ever been made in the history of the slash film cast as they say weird flex but okay yeah weird flex but okay also Uh, uh, i think he hits on the the real problem with movie podcasts is mm -hmm. too few moviolas (laughs) too few moviolas agreed i mean it is an unrefute it was an irrefutable statement to make right like like, that you can look at you know if, if i had a movie oh i could show you and so that's it's just an amazing statement um but i just enjoy the fact that over the years the slash film cast has been a space for people to thoughtfully express very uh conflicting views uh and leave on good terms afterwards right and to, to express like extremely vehemently like they're very contradictory and you know um just uh, potentially outside the mainstream views and uh and, and that for that to be like a fascinating thing to listen to and i remember getting so upset after that episode because we caught crap from everyone for that episode like uh all of our listeners who like wanted us to have like a really positive review of christopher nolan uh and his new movie inception got really upset that we had this like Armand White on there to to like ruin <laughs> quote unquote our good review of Inception. And By the then, way, Dave, it's worth pointing out that the slash film last uh, slash film cast listenership spiked at that uh, <laughs> at that, uh, at that uh, appearance with Kevin Smith for The Dark Knight. So like I would say that probably a large amount of our listeners at the time were Christopher Nolan fans. Yeah, I think right? that's I think that's probably accurate. I think it's probably accurate. Um but 
uh, and and then from the other side, so it was I, I was getting one of two. So, so from my perspective, we had just done this like amazing show with this. Uh, what, in my opinion, is a brilliant thinker. Like he he may express opinions that are like really objectionable to you or that you don't agree with, but like I, I don't think he's dumb. You know, I don't think he uh, doesn't have immense amounts of intelligence. And so I was very proud of that episode, and we were getting so much crap from people for A, having him on. And then, like, if we weren't getting crap from people having him on, it was from people who thought that he had completely served us. Like, and just imagine your, um, you know, I, I think I was in my, I guess I was in my 20s back then, right? You're in your 20s. You're, like, in, you just started the show. You're not, like, I haven't been doing the show for, like, eight years at that point. It's, like, two years in. And I've done this episode that, like, I was extremely proud of. And that I was just getting dozens of emails hating what I just did or saying I was stupid. And, uh, and I think that was like one of the key points that I'm just like, you know what? I, I, I just need to do this show the way that I, I need to do this show. Like, like, like I can't – that was like a breaking point of like listen, taking feedback in a serious way. You know what I mean? Like, and I, what I mean by that, not like thoughtful feedback. Of course, I'm always open to constructive criticism. But just like the, the, the masses of like, do it this way, do it that way. You know, like I'm just like I can't listen to it or I'm going to try not to. And I haven't always succeeded in, in, in proceeding along that path. Um, but that was definitely like a key episode where like I was so proud of that episode. And then like the response was so disappointing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But as I, as I look back on it, I'm still really proud of it. You know, I'm still really proud of it. So that's like kind of my favorite. It's, it's like to me, it represents the best of what this show can be. And uh, that's why it's my my favorite moment. Okay, I love so, all our conversations with him. By the yeah. way, I just want to yeah. say that too. Like it's a, uh, it got more contentious at the end. But yes. yeah, I love those early definitely. ones. Yeah, definitely. Dave, yeah. I, have a, I have a question, and you can cut this out. But why did Armin White block you? <laughs> oh, I think I, I, I mean I think uh, I don't exactly know why. I think I, I think it's because I didn't appreciate how he um, he expressed himself during that twelve years of slave controversy. That was yeah. really bad. Yeah. yeah, and I think like that's I, where I, I give up on him. I wrote yeah. some negative. I think I wrote some negative things about that uh, on my blog, and I think he like saw them, and I don't think he yeah. But again, I, I am grateful for every appearance that man made on the show, and uh, I think um, I think it was great. It, it represented the best of what the show can be, which is welcoming someone with a really different viewpoint and taking them seriously, and then both people hopefully learning more at the end of it. That's. Uh, both parties learning more at the end of it. That's what I have always wanted for this show. So all that said, Jeff, <laughs> that heartfelt message aside, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> we're, we're at your favorite moment. So, Well, now that I've heard uh, both of your favorite <laughs> moments, um, can I change mine? <laughs> you want, how do you want to tee this up, Jeff? How do you want to tee this up? Oh, boy. So I can't change it? No. Nope. Um, no, I, I – agree with all that stuff all that stuff um and i like davindra there were many many moments that i could have chosen uh i went round and round i love the fact that we we raised money for charity by reviewing a movie that's extraordinary uh, extraordinary yeah uh i love uh there is an episode where we literally just turned the mics on and kind of talked about 2016 and what it meant and like we're mm-hmm. reckoning with just the world as it was and that was a very special moment and episode there are countless <laughs> moments of insight from both of you that I have taken with me uh, on movies and on life uh, that I 
just didn't have the energy to find. Um, <laughs> so I, w- I went with this one. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Here's Jeff's favorite moment. This game does it very differently than any other previous Zelda. Uh, all of that is very impressive for a company that you would think would be a little staid at this point, would be you know, not willing to, um, to, to mess with the, the, uh, the, uh, what's the, what's the term? Um, the money, <laughs> the money horse, <laughs> the, uh, you know what I'm talking about? The money uh, pot. No, there's a, whatever. My brain's not working today. Money horse. <laughs> what's the, what's the <laughs> phrase? Uh, I, I don't know. I, the, I think I know what you're talking about. It's the thing, you're the thing that brings you all the revenue. You're, uh, uh, tries like oh god what's this it's the main something uh, the, I, the chat room will save us I know they will I believe in them uh, anyway prize stallion <laughs> <laughs> you're, uh, it's your uh, main source of revenue uh, the thing that <laughs> this is this is some amazing radio. It's torturous, it's torturous. That's okay. No one is listening. Everyone has already. Yeah, they've already all tuned this. out. So that's fine. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> switch. Are you, are you? Are you money train? No money train. <laughs> did switch? Did you? Do you want to buy one? Are you hoping to get one? I don't know. I've, it, it doesn't seem like a very cash cow. Yes, cash cow. Yes. <laughs> Cash cow, David. <laughs> Did you just come up with that yourself? Or are you Googling? Or No, I just came up with it. Wow. You know when you, when you stop trying, your brain goes, oh, here's that thing you wanted. Yeah. Cash cow. It's nice, that. Nice. Money it horse. Like, it was like dollars and some kind of animal. Like, that's what... I, said, I said money horse. And I meant cash cow. That is so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> okay oh god okay all right well luckily no one's listening um <laughs> all right well, well that was a clip well that was going clip. from rigorous intellectual <laughs> debate <laughs> so jeff why'd you choose that moment well i think for me it represents uh the fact that that we're we're legitimately having real conversations. <laughs> Things can go wrong. I love the fact that that for weeks after that, there was an inside joke uh, to people that have listened to the show about the money horse. I love the numerous inside jokes we have on the show. I love it. It kind of brought a community, you know, brought the community together over my stupidity, and th- that's. It represents to me what I love most about doing the show. Uh, yes, it's great the incredible people we've brought on. It's great the uh, the discussions that we have about movies. But ultimately, I'm hanging out with my friends and I'm having a good time. And that every time I listen to that, I laugh anew at how so dumb I am. But also how long we just try to get to it. And uh, and and. <laughs> And I cherish the the experience of doing the show because those moments can happen and we can all laugh. All right. Well, I can't dispute that. I, I'm glad these these moments have really run the full gamut <laughs> in terms of their seriousness and importance to the podcast. But yes, ultimately, I feel bad that my my moment 
It was a lot of me, but it's also me it being a good dumb. moment. It was you a good. Mo- it was a good moment. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. One, I was like cracking up but, listening. You didn't hear me, but I was cracking up listening to it. Um, but the, the other thing is, and going back to my po- point about the podcast, Dave, you could have just like hit stop on the recording and been like, "Let's look this up." You know, <laughs> we'll we'll edit this out, and that moment of great podcasting would not exist in this world. Do you know well, what I mean? That's another lesson, actually, that I've learned is that like often the best and most memorable moments have nothing to do with what you try to talk about at the beginning of the episode. Like, when I think of, like, my favorite moments, not even from this podcast, but, like, other podcasts, it's when those shows, like, similar to ours, where it's just guys gabbing, uh, people gabbing, uh, it, it's when the, the conversation is completely derailed onto, like, uh-huh. something else, right? That, like, and you just, like, follow that conversation to its logical end. Like, don't, don't necessarily <laughs> try to, like, get it back on track, because you might be... Uh, rejecting, you might be looking a money horse in the mouth. As well. <laughs> so, you like that, Jeff? Yeah. Um, so great moments from from <laughs> the the storied history of uh, of the podcast. Uh, so why don't we get to our top five films since the podcast was released? But before we do that, let us listen to a few more of your voicemails. Hi, I'm Katie. I'm 10 years old. I'm from Puerto Rico. And I just wanted to say on the record, my daddy is a slash film cast zombie from way back. And we always enjoy, like, after we see a great movie, we always enjoy listening to your great episodes. We just love hearing your thoughts about it. And, and you even pulled us through Hurricane Maria with your podcast. It was just so entertaining as a family. P.S. Jeff, you have turned me into a Marvel zombie. Hello, everyone. This is Michelle from Brazil, recording a slash voicemail on how this slash film cast has impacted my life. I am thankful for this podcast, firstly because of all the things I have learned from it regarding entertainment, movies, English, and lately, the art of limericks. And second, because the show has had a real impact both for my professional and personal life. Thanks to Dave, who put up the Slash Filmcast channel on Slack in 2017. I was able to interact with a lot of amazing and different people from all over the world. In 2018, three of these members, Jennifer, Brian and Ming, even helped me to prepare myself and to revise a proposal for a PhD scholarship at a British university which was later accepted. Later last year, after I moved to England, I met Brian, Jennifer, and another member of our Slack community, Mr. Spurs in Scotland, where both Brian and Jennifer live. Spurs came all the way from Germany to meet us. Spurs, who also goes by the name of Zuhan, whom I had started DMing more than a year ago, also through the Slack, became a dear long-distance friend. One thing led to another, and soon I realized I was having feelings for him. During our meetup trip, we ended up falling in love, which made the Slack meetup even more special. Like I said, the podcast has indeed affected my life a lot. For all the reasons I have listed, I will be forever grateful to these Three great human beings. Thank you once again, and congratulations on the 500 episodes. 
My name is Brandon Tate from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Congratulations, you guys, on 500 episodes. I've been listening to the Slash Filmcast since the first episode in 2008. Uh, I was 21 when I started listening to the podcast. I had shoulder-length hair, a shitty job, a barely-functioning car. My girlfriend and I could barely pay the rent. And now I'm 32 with no hair, and a wife, and a daughter, and a home and a career to call my own. As life and the world have changed, as friends have drifted apart, and family has passed away, you guys have been the constant that I could always count on waiting for me in my headphones and in my car stereo. In the torrent and the fury that were my 20s, the Slash Film cast has been a rock, and at times a reprieve. I mean, it's remarkable. The Slash Film cast has existed over three American presidents, the Great Recession, and worst of all, two aborted attempts at rebooting the Terminator franchise. On the flip side, you guys have talked to dozens of filmmakers and journalists, raised money for charity, and you've opened eyes to new films, new perspectives, all while sharing your own lives with thousands of people. There is simply no comparison or equal to what you guys do for the film community at large. I've also been fortunate enough to have my life intersect with David, as I've worked as an intern for the Tobolowski Files. The Slash Filmcast changed how I think about film and art. The Tobolowski Files changed how I think about stories and life. It inspired me to become a playwright and a storyteller on my own, which turned out to be one of the most fulfilling things that I've ever done. I owe a great deal of my desire to make art because of the Slash Filmcast, and I can never thank you enough. You know, Roger Ebert once said that Movies are a machine that generates empathy, that they help us identify with the people who are sharing the journey with us. So thank you, David and Devendra and Jeff, for letting thousands of people share your journey through film and life throughout the years. I can't wait to journey through 500 more episodes. Uh, thank you so much for those voicemails. Incredible stories that people have shared from the history of the Slash Filmcast. That uh, is the most articulate 10-year-old I have ever heard, and I kind of don't believe it's a 10-year-old. The 10-year-old was... is very concerning <laughs> because of the language that we use here on the podcast. I kind of question, <laughs> I kind of question the parenting, you know what I'm saying? Well, I question uh, our choice of we, we got to be we just got to be less be potty mouths we have kids yeah. that's right we yeah. got kids listening to the show and then michelle who uh called in with her story of falling in love with a fellow member of the slash film cast or the slack amazing. film cast amazing amazing um that's gonna be a movie someday i feel like this is the the basic storyline of a future this is the sleepless thing. in seattle of the modern yeah. age yeah right? is it is uh, falling yeah. in love by a podcast. This is sharing sharing the earbuds. Yeah, well, let's how come you up would with remake, a romantic name for that. If you were going to remake Sleepless in Seattle, it wouldn't be about radio. That's for sure. There you, you go. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, thank you for sharing. It's so nice to hear that the podcast has made such a difference in everyone's lives, uh, and we really appreciate it. We'll have some more voicemails at the very end of the episode, but in the meantime, for this episode, to to to, to jam pack it with as much content to make it as special as possible we are doing yet another countdown uh, we just counted down our top 10 films of 2018 for this one i asked people to come up with their top five films since the slash film cast began which was in again i think may of 2008 so basically the top 10 films or top five films i should say of the last 10 years or so 
And Jeff was saying, you know, when we were texting about planning this, Jeff was saying, oh, oh like we got we got to cap this at like, t- you know, two honorable mentions tops. And I was like, even better, Jeff, zero honorable mentions. Yeah, zero brutal. honorable mentions. Brutal, brutal, hardcore, absolutely. So as we, as I we think about this, like my approach was with this was like kind of like a desert island like uh, approach. It was like if I could take five movies with me. Right to a desert island. Wow, that's so interesting. Oh. We should all talk about what our take is because yeah. my take was completely mm. different. Okay, Jeff, what was your take? What mine was your too. Take? Uh, yeah. Mine was what movies have stayed with me the most mm. and had an effect on my sort of just like in in my personal zeitgeist, you know, in my personal headspace most often since. Interesting. How about you, Peter? Oh wow. Um, you know, I actually went through my letterbox and actually rated ten years of movies to see what my top movies of those 10 years would be and there was only 12 movies that got five star ratings so i had wow. to narrow those five those 12 movies down to five oh, but wow. i i don't even think these would be the most rewatchable or the the, the films that affected me the most like these are just uh, the ones you thought were the best like the best yeah, of the year right or the best of all time yeah yeah the the ones that i would give a five star rating which is very very hard to get that perfect five star rating i me. feel like these five you you get six star ratings Mm-hmm. They made it even just a little bit above the other, mm. what, seven movies? I guess so. Yeah. Uh, all right. And Devendra, any any comments on your approach to this? Basically, movies I loved. And a lot of them were from my top ten lists. Um, but also, maybe not the movies I thought I would pick. If I was going to pick, like, what I think are, I don't know, the best critically rated, like, the, I don't know, the most rousing movies. Like, I, it's just very personal to me. Uh, especially my number five. Like, yeah, mm. we'll, we'll get into it. The other thing that I will say that I did is I decided that I, before looking at even what came out in that period, I would just sit down and write all of the movies that feel like they should be on this list just from memory, mm. just like what comes up, right? And easily three of the movies that were on my top five, I later realized came out just before the cutoff. <laughs> you, you forgot – also, Jeff, you forgot to mention one of your other key criteria, which is uh, the movie's title must rhyme with Shmavatar. Uh, yeah, it's not so, easy. Yeah. That's not easy. Yeah. But, and there's not a lot of Shmavatar rhyming movies. Shmames, Shmamarin's Shmavatar <laughs> uh, was something that yeah. you needed your movies to rhyme with. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, wait, wait, it was did... good because uh, uh, I think didn't um, – didn't, uh, Zach and Miri make a Shmavatar come out that that period as well. <laughs> um, yeah. Wait, wait. Do 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 we think that there's any film on on all three of our lists? I think there's one movie there's that's one. going to be on yeah, all, on all four of our lists, right? Yes. And I, I think we or four. But sir. let's get but let's get let's get to it. But wait, but, I want to just say like I wrote down. I was just off the top of my head. I wrote down Children of Men, No Country for Old Men, and. One other one, and all of them came out like right before. Right before, the right, before <laughs> yeah. right. Cinema basically went downhill when the Slash Film <laughs> Guest began. Right? 2007 was incredible. 2007 was oh, one yeah. of the greatest years of, for movies ever, right? So, uh, yeah. So, th- th- this is kind of some thoughts on uh, our, our top fives of the last 10 years. One other thing I'll say is that, and by the way, I would like Children of Men, No Country for Old Men, Old Men would definitely be on my list if we started the podcast before. Uh, yeah. 2007, right? But I'll also say one other thing. In order to make this list, I went back and looked at all my top tens for the last 10 years. 
And man, many of those movies have not stood the test of time. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep, I, mean, yep, yep. I mean, I just looked at I, I looked at my top ten for like a given year, and I'll be like, oh, like I I'm, I feel comfortable not putting any of these on my top five. <laughs> like whole years were discarded, right? So yeah. Uh, so th- these are just kind of like the movies that I think are the best of the best. So let's. I feel begin. like that's a great it, when when you eventually write your memoir, Dave. That's a great title. Whole years were discarded. Thanks. Thanks, <laughs> the David Chen tale. The David Chen story. Uh, Peter Serena, your number five movie for the last ten years. I'm just curious. Curious if War Horse is going to be on this, Dave. But um, uh, part of the journey. You know, before I give you my number five, I just want to say that I think my list is going to be the most insane here because I have. I think like three of the biggest movies of all time and two of the smallest movies of all time. Mm, okay. So I'll start with a, a big one. Uh, and my number five is gravity. Mm. Uh, oh, gravity yeah. was one of my, one of the best cinematic experiences I've ever had. Um, say what you will about the story being thin, uh, but it was like a nonstop roller coaster ride of like, it's just, I don't know. Alfonso Cuaron is a master, and I don't think anybody else could have made this. I, I love the breathtaking long, the breathtakingly long shots, and um, you know that ratchet tension from like wonder to terror. And uh, I think it's my favorite three D film of all time. Not that that I guess is hard. It's a great three um, D. I just saw it again last year at the Cinerama in three D, and it was an amazing mm-hmm. experience. So. And seeing it in IMAX, I remember being on the edge of my seat, like just – I don't think I was ever that tense yeah, in a moment yeah. in the movie. Um, and uh, I don't know. I just think it's a, a stunning cinematic achievement that doesn't get a lot of love. Uh, for me, it's unforgettable. And I, I, I know a lot of people don't love the film's ending. And I will propose this. I know there's a theory out there that the Wait, are, final... are you going to give away the ending right now? You're no, give away the no, ending? no. I'm just okay. going to say I think there's a – theory out there that the final scene of this movie is just imagined by mm. the protagonist mm. and I, I like i like to i, I like that theory i like mm. it mm. i definitely considered gravity for this list uh, i also love it and was bowled over by it. Uh, it it certainly made my my short list uh not not short enough but you know it is a great <laughs> film uh nice choice for peter's number five film since the slash film cast uh was invented uh, or had its first episode. <laughs> Jeff Kanata, you're number five. I wrestled with this number five choice back and forth and back and forth. And I know we're not supposed to do honorable mentions, but I almost, I almost was like, don't you dare, piss, Jeff. Don't you I was dare. almost going to piss you guys off and go, my number five is a tie. No, I would have uh, freaking killed you. <laughs> I, I, I really wanted to go with about time, but I did not, I did not because I had to go with. The Avengers. Uh, I I went uh-huh. back and forth. I, I just I just couldn't live with myself if I didn't admit to myself that the Avengers was a moment that I dreamed about since I was a kid, and it really was this culmination of of what seems like a dream. And uh, I've I've talked at length on the show about my love of Marvel comics from when I was a kid, you know, I was a, I was a Marvel zombie from way back. And I feel like that never seemed possible to have all these disparate characters who had their own movies come together and team up in a film and seeing that actually happen, seeing that the sort of the promise of the end credits, post credit scene of Iron Man, when Samuel L. Jackson shows up and says, I have the Avengers initiative. That moment alone was pretty amazing. 
but you kind of also don't expect it to ever really pay off because it just seemed impossible then. And, um, and that first Avengers movie still great. I still love it. And it still warms my heart that it actually happened. So it, it made my list. Number five, Jeff, uh, I really want to be a nurturing presence on the show. But I will just say, if all five of your choices are Marvel films, I'm going to be a, a little bit disappointed. <laughs> I'm just going to put that out there. What if, uh, what if I reveal them in the form of a limerick? Yeah, it's going to mm. be like Thor The Dark World is your number two. Um, <laughs> but but uh, uh, The Avengers, it's easy to forget how unprecedented what was happening in that movie was, right? That, yeah. like, there's no, there's no, from my understanding, right, there's no formula for what they did with that movie right no one had no, ever achieved formula. it yeah they wrote the formula no one had ever achieved what they achieved which is like multiple standalone movies with their own stories each of which was a hit uh and then let's combine them all into this massive story and have it not feel extremely disjointed i would yeah, argue and give every character uh something interesting to do have I, the thing that i couldn't believe when i first saw the avengers was that all of the fantasy matchups that you you go oh god i want to see the hulk fight thor and i want to see iron man fight captain america and i want to see hawkeye fight uh, um black widow all of it happens in that first movie like he joss gives you all of it and it was such a an amazing moment for me it's a great choice for your number five. Uh, I, I thought about putting it on my, my list as well. It's it's uh, uh, Still, to this day, I still really enjoy that film. So, great choice for your number five. Devinder Hardor, your number five film since the first episode of the Slash Filmcast. So, my number five is Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Mm, nice choice. This isn't, yeah, this isn't a big movie. It's not a showy movie, but it remains one of my favorite movies over the past ten years. And uh, honestly, that just a lot of that comes from being a huge fan of the uh, you know the original comics uh, from Brian Lee O'Malley. But I also think like Edgar Wright just like knocked this movie out of the park. Like it has everything we love about Edgar Wright movies. A lot of like great visual sensibility. Um, like it's so stylish. The cast of this movie is insane, and they've gone on to do great things. Pretty much every single one of them. And I think this movie does a great job of like conveying video gaminess in film form, which is something that we just really never saw. Uh, the music also is incredible. Um, I guess this also means a lot to me because uh, I saw this at the Comic-Con premiere where that was an insane experience. Oh, yeah. Where we were sitting in Hall H just listening to Edgar Wright talk about this movie. And then he just says, like, hey, want to want to go check this thing out? And he leads everybody down the street. So everybody left there in Hall H. Uh, like the Pied Piper of pop culture, he's leading people down the street uh, through San Diego to this theater where we sit down, watch Scott Pilgrim versus the world. And then the curtain goes up and metric plays like a six or seven song set or something like it was insane. One of those things I'll never forget. Uh, yeah. And I, you know, it, it sounds like a crazy experience. I was not part of it, uh, but it was like one of the dying gasps of that yeah. era of Comic Con, right? Like, and then the movie flopped. And the movie flopped. So, and it's like, hey, yeah. we like Universal spent you know a crap ton of money uh, on this movie marketing at a Comic Con, and it basically was like, hey, Comic Con is not an effective way of ensuring that your movie will do well. Um, but for a time, like, I remember when we went there, like, first of all, Tron Legacy was there like three years in a row or whatever, but they <laughs> yeah. built a, a scale replica of uh, Flynn's arcade, right? Mm -hmm. Like from the Tron movie and you could go in and play around. It was crazy. 
and of course, you know, that movie did fine. It, it wasn't a bomb, but it didn't do – I don't think it justified Disney's investment in it. Um, so turns out the geeks will go to your movie or not. Like whatever you do at Comic Con probably doesn't really matter. Yeah, that's what. And are. also, TV sort of took over Comic Con. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah, it's yeah. true. Um, okay, uh, so <laughs> my number five is Inception, which is a Christopher Nolan movie that I just talked about moments ago uh, <laughs> from an episode where, like, we had a guest on who told us how dumb we were for liking it. But uh, what, what but you is, get the last laugh because it's number five <laughs> on your list. What's crazy about Inception is it, it reveals to me kind of the the potential of film. I mean, there's so many layers, literally and figuratively, to Inception. Um, you know, some people have said like Inception is a metaphor for filmmaking, which I think is a That's really annoying. great way to read it. Um, but just the like the idea of hey. What if you could hack into people's dreams, right, and take control of their dreams and then, like, incept an idea? I mean, mm-hmm. this is a movie that has cultural relevance. This is a movie that, like, everyone knows about. They understand the concept of it. Um, and then the visuals that Christopher Nolan and his team came up with to demonstrate the idea of hacking into dreams, um, the use of slow motion to demonstrate difference, like, time differentials between levels of dreams – uh, the Hans Zimmer score that is so memorable that it kind of inaugurated a new genre of blah blah music. Oh man! Uh, so like so many things, like just the concept, and then bringing it to life in with visual and sound and all these amazing actors. Uh, it felt like it represented kind of the the height of creativity of what yeah. cinema was capable of. Right when a capable director gets basically. Free reign to do whatever the heck he wants. Check to do whatever he wants. He wants wants to do a movie about uh, secret like spies who jump into dreams to like plant ideas. Like the the like the idea of this movie, the the basic premise of it is insane. Yeah, and this is what I love about Nolan too, because you could say that about Interstellar, which is a movie about a guy going through a wormhole to try to save humanity, and even (laughs) Dunkirk. Which is just like let's not have a script. Let's just <laughs> let's just do this thing. I think there was a script with very little dialogue. To your to your point, Dimitra. yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know that. Uh, I, I think his movies are are flawed, but uh, often deeply flawed. But man, does he swing? Yeah, he swings. I love the swing. Like, yeah. It's like it's like he's expanding like humanity's understanding of like what is possible with movies, right? And that's yeah. just like super special. Uh, and so I had to put one Chris. That, that's like that's my one Christopher Nolan film on this. Like I was debating, you know, which one of them. I was debating like, that. Dark too, yeah. Knight, Dunkirk, like you know, which one? Uh, but Inception is my number five. Uh, so that's uh, that's my Christopher Nolan uh, film on this list. Peter Serretta, your number four choice uh, for f- favorite film since the Slash Filmcast uh, released its first episode. I feel like no one's going to agree with this one, but my number four film is Richard Linklater's Boyhood. Mm. Ooh, nice. Uh, yeah. This Good film pick. for me is like, it's like a small epic. Um, it's uh, it's beautiful. It's remarkable. I know I just called Gravity a cinematic achievement, but <laughs> but I think this is a cinematic achievement like we have never seen before and will likely never see again. If we do, it's probably going to be from Linklater. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I, I, I just feel like the, I love coming of age stories and 
this does it in such an interesting episodic uh way using the same actors over the course of i guess like 12 years yeah. Um, and and you're talking about episodic, would... it's like it's like he was trying like when I was watching the movie, I felt like the style of the movie, the hard cuts to between different time periods is like trying to recreate what it feels like to remember something or, 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 or to, you know, it feels like it's mm-hmm. imitating memory in a way uh, yeah. when I watch the movie. Yeah. And I love what moments it chooses to show. It's not choosing to show like the graduation. It's showing yeah. like a part of the graduation party, or it's showing. Yeah, it's showing. I don't he, know. He's saying like you don't remember the graduation. You remember the ride home in the car from graduation, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's it's great. The the selection of the moments is very uh, very special. So. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if another Linkletter, Richard Linkletter film was on one of your lists. Uh, you know, later on, but uh, this is the one that made my list. All right. Uh, Boyhood, great film, great choice, and yes, yeah, certainly a huge cinematic achievement. Jeff Kanata, your number four. My number four is Captain Fantastic. Ooh, wow! I did not expect a movie I haven't oh. seen yet. I, I I've bought that movie. I have not watched it yet, but maybe I will because you listed it here. One of my, uh, we had a question that we didn't have time for that was about one of your regrets uh, on the show. One of my biggest regrets was the fact that I forgot the year that we did our ten, top ten list that that movie had come out that year. I remember I, that you were so upset. I was mortified because this movie meant so much to me and still does. Uh, it's a movie that I constantly think about, especially now that I'm a father with two kids. It's – beautiful it's challenging it's interesting it ha- it's about parenting and sort of extreme parenting and what what you owe your children and what your you know it's it's about one man and his wife in a sense uh who um attempted to do something with parenting that seems outrageous but also sort of seems brilliant and it is something i constantly think about with regard to plans and ideas for how to raise my own kids. It's a movie that is always in my head, always, always, always in my head. And that's why it, it deserved placement on my list at number four, Captain Fantastic. All right. Uh, I haven't seen it, but I'm, I'm literally going to watch now because you put it on your list. Like that's the fact that it's like your favorite in the t- t- you know last 10 years, I think says a lot. So Captain Fantastic, great choice. I, I love that this is a movie that Dave bought, but he wasn't playing to watch it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, 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 been, it's been sitting in my iTunes account until this moment. So it's, yeah, usually it would be like, man, I really got to buy that now that you mentioned it. It's no, I bought it. Now I really actually have to watch <laughs> that's right, it. That's right. Devendra Hardwar, your number four film since the Slash Filmcast had its first episode. Okay, we are drowning in superhero movies, but my number four is Logan. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Because we I've never seen a superhero movie like this. Um, I don't know if we'll see one again. Um, Maybe if James Mangle gets his way again. But I I love the character of Wolverine. I love the character Professor X. I love the X-Men, you know, and uh, that's what I grew up with. I wasn't just a Marvel zombie, I guess. I was very much an X-Men zombie and everything around that. Um, And it's such a fitting end to the character. It's such a stunning sort of uh, neo-Western. Uh, it handles violence and action in ways that, you know, aside from Deadpool, which does it in a more funny way, uh, we're never going to see this in an Avengers movie. 
Um, I think it does a great service to Hugh Jackman and what he brought to this character. It's a fitting end for that. And also Patrick Stewart, because I'm pretty sure this is going to be the last we're going to see of Professor X. What an insane movie. What a gamble to go outside of the uh, the X-Men continuity, really, and have this kind of one-off future story. I just love everything about it. Um, it's a movie that I think reminds me that uh, even though it seems like a lot of superhero movies are are starting to feel very, very similar. A lot of them seem to have the same arcs and it feels like we've seen so much of this before. This is so different. And I hope more people kind of take notice of this and maybe try to push the genre forward a little too or whatever we call this movie. I don't, I don't know if it's a genre, but it's definitely a category of films uh, that deserves to be more experimental now. Mm. Uh, it's a great choice and a, a movie I really enjoyed a lot. And I think my biggest memory of that movie, first of all, I love the opening credits of that film. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, when he starts cutting into those guys at the beginning, it's like, wow, this is what, this is the Wolverine that we were supposed to have this whole time, right? Yeah. The last decade or so, we were supposed to have a Wolverine, uh, that when he, if you like accidentally lean on someone wrong, that guy is getting maimed. Uh, and we finally got like a rated R Wolverine that I think did justice to how deadly that character really is. So, uh, -hmm. great choice. Number, number four, uh, Logan in the second the second Marvel movie on the list, I wonder how many Marvel movies are yeah. going to make it. Uh, mm. I, I love Logan, but you know, like I, I had such a good experience watching it. I think it even made my top ten that year. But it's yeah. not a yeah. movie I have like revisited that much. You know, it's not. A, it's like, worth revisiting, especially like like there's so well, much. Yeah, in I there. think. Well, I think I'm saying yeah. like I think I'm saying like the reason it's not on my list is because like I haven't felt the desire to revisit. Yeah. it. you know, yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah. you can't really necessarily control what you want to to return to. Also, um, you you bought it, but did you watch it? <laughs> That's right. actually a true story. I did. I do own it, and I don't think I've watched that copy of it yet. So, um, okay. Anyway, uh, my number four is How to Train Your Dragon. Uh, oh, and, of course. Yeah. yeah. And so many people have realized that the How to Train Your Dragon theme, theme song is sampled in our, our theme song. Uh, and this is so over the years, there have been a few movies I've watched multiple times at the theater, right? Uh, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Mission Impossible Fallout. You know, come to think of it, it's mostly Mission Impossible movies. <laughs> but one of them is also How to Train Your Dragon. I think I saw that movie six times in IMAX. Um, yeah, I remember. And five or six times in IMAX. And what I love about this movie is, uh, first of all, it's obviously like the, the moral of the story is, is a positive one. It is uh, people fear what they don't understand. And when you can give them a better understanding of it, they often will not fear it as much, and there's there's some like positivity and and uh, going against prejudice that's within that message. It's a rip roaring action film at times, um, but uh, also no other film that I've ever seen in my life has replicated the sensation of what it must feel like to fly than that film. Maybe maybe the documentary Winged Migration, but other than that, you know. How to Train Your Dragon, like that first time that he's on Toothless and they're at the top and they, they have that whole like fin set up with his wing or whatever the hell on, on his tail yeah. and they it's dive magic. from like the clouds all the way to the water it's and magic. that theme song like roars to life. Uh, I, I wept in the theater the first time because it was such a beautiful uh, depiction of what it is like to actually fly that like that, that's yeah. a feeling that we will never experience. Like at least if we're lucky, we'll never experience it in that way. Right. 
Um, and, and that was uh, wonderful in 3D as well. It, yeah, it was like I tried to replicate that feeling with a 3D television. Didn't work. Didn't work. But <laughs> never. Uh, but in IMAX, the 3D, 3D projector might get you there, Dave. Maybe. Uh, maybe. Just saying. Yeah. But um, I mean. It, I, to this day, I have like two copies of the Blu-ray: the 3D version and the and the non-3D version. Maybe one day I'll try it out again. Um, but yeah, it is tr- tremendous movie. That uh, also like it's one of those movies that like uh, it was like the little movie that could. It didn't do that well at the box office, um, like opening weekend, but it like held on over the years and uh, went on to make what uh, half a billion dollars. Uh, and then spawned TV shows, and uh, there was actually a stage play version of it that I went to see that was really impressive. Um, so How to Train Your Dragon, it's my number four. Uh, it's a movie that, if I'm looking back on, on what's been important to me, been important to the Slash Filmcast, uh, and also culturally relevant, How to Train Your Dragon. I feel like you're setting up something when mm, you keep saying that. Maybe, maybe. Peter, your number three film of the last decade or so I, I would venture to say this is probably the smallest film on any of our lists and that is exit through the gift shop Ooh, oh yeah great movie though nice. wow yeah i saw this film at sundance in 2010 i saw it with you and... i was there with you i think oh yeah you were yeah i, I, remember... I was in the audience and they were like they said yeah this movie is directed by banksy so there's not going to be a q a because nobody knows who banksy is uh, but they did but, say he might be in the crowd. They, yeah, they said like he could be sitting right next to you, and I, I remember thinking maybe Banksy's sitting next to me. Yeah, um, and, I, and I remember around this time, uh, what was this, 2010? Yeah, uh, right before that, I, I really got into kind of like the pop culture print scene. So this was kind of like a movie set in that world or adjacent to that world, I guess. And uh, I like that it's you know it's provocative, it's subversive. It uh, is about the creation and value of art. Uh, it is a look into the world of street art. Uh, I remember Catfish was also there that year at Sundance. And like Catfish, this film left many people questioning the authenticity of the characters in the story. Uh, you know, the mystery behind the creation of the, this documentary and the filmmaker, uh, Banksy, it just adds to the spectacle. And uh, I... I don't know. It's kind of weird going through my my film history on Letterboxd. I was able to see some connections. And one of them was that some of my favorite documentaries of all time happen to be documentaries about art. Uh, and that includes My Kid Could Paint That and Tim's Vermeer in this film. Uh, yeah. And I, I don't know what that says about me. I, I love what all three of those films say about art. And yeah, uh, those are all great yeah. films. Yeah. So, yeah, so those films for those Tim's Vermeer, great movie. Uh, my kid could paint that mind blowing movie. Yep. Um, and yep. then the, the movie you chose as your number three, Exit Through the Gift Shop, a great documentary about modern art. Uh, that... Do all three of those movies fall in the window we're talking about? Because man, any of those could have easily been. I think they do. Uh-huh. I think they do. Yeah. Um, I don't know about my kid could paint that. My kid could paint that. No, that, that I remember. No, uh, wait, that's before that. I think oh, yeah. that's okay. like 2005 or 2006. Yeah, I, mm. I remember speaking with the director at Sundance, but that was after that movie had come out. So yeah, great. Th- those are all great movies. Great choice for Indeed. number three, Peter. Uh, okay, Jeff Kanata, your number three film from the last decade or so. Well, you already mentioned it earlier in the show. It's Arrival. Mm. And. Um, Again, these are movies that 
that have stayed with me. And uh, as you mentioned, the review of Arrival, I had a hard time just even keeping it together. It's a movie that I still think about. It's a movie that on one hand is just sort of exquisitely told. It's beautifully expressed the ideas of how the aliens look and their sort of uh, taxonomy, you know, it's all interesting. It's uh, it's just great sci-fi on a very fundamental level. But then the message of the movie, which is what great sci-fi does, it's a metaphor, it's, it's a way to examine the human condition. The best sci-fi does that well. This movie does it extremely well. And it is about finding joy in moments. It's about uh, the, the, the question of whether a short, a short amount of time with someone is worthwhile, uh, even if you know that it may not last. Uh, if, if a journey is short, is it still worth it, even if those moments are beautiful? And it, it, it devastated me. It informs my life. It's a movie that I'm constantly thinking about. Uh, and it, I mean, it, it has so many virtues. Uh, I'm proud to put it as number three, Arrival. Great choice, yeah. Jeff. Arrival, uh, yeah, it's certainly one of the greatest films of the last uh, decade. Um, so, yeah, nicely Agreed. done. Devendra Hardwar, your number three film. Let me ask you guys this. <laughs> Have you ever seen A Miracle? My number three is Blade Runner 2049. <laughs> Denis Villeneuve is on a roll, guys. And actually, yeah, I was also debating whether to do Arrival or this one. And I lean towards this just because, you know, this is a sequel that's kind of impossible. And I think I could call all five of my, you know, top five impossible films. Like, nothing about this should work. Uh, We've been hearing about a sequel to Blade Runner forever. uh, And I just was never into the idea. And I think, like, what we got with Blade Runner 2049 is just a really interesting exploration of identity and also a continuation of the storyline from the first film done with such impeccable style, the same amount of restraint we kind of expected from Blade Runner, and yet another, like, a a really great score, something that really sets the tone. I don't like as much as the Vangelis one, but it's still very fitting for this film. Just everything about this. Like, I saw this film three or four times in theaters, and this is a big, sumptuous movie. You just sit and drink in. It's long, but I also love staring at a lot of those shots and how a lot of it's composed. Uh, so, yeah, it's a movie that's uh, I've kind of burned into my brain in many ways. Uh, yeah, uh, th- that was a great year for sci-fi, right? Blade Runner 2049. And didn't Arrival come out that mm-hmm. year as well? Was it that year? I, I feel like it was. Um, Man. They were both... I don't think it was the same year, was it? Uh, Blade no. Runner 2049 is 2017. Arrival is 2016. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Uh, there you go. Right, yeah. One year apart, but... Uh, man, yeah, great, great uh, run for sci-fi there. And when I think back to Blade Runner 2049, I mean, that is a movie where, like, every shot or every other shot is a work of art, right? Mm-hmm. The opening scene of that, those fields of uh, whatever the hell they were, I don't even know what they are. Uh, like, was it solar panels or something at the beginning solar there? Solar panels, yeah. Um, a lot of great miniatures again, even though great. there's so much CG in it as well. Like, yeah. Yeah, everything in Las Vegas, those haunting, gigantic statues, uh, the fight scene with the holographic Elvis on stage, um, you know, like so many spectacular visuals and ideas uh, brought okay. the the holographic, like uh, lovemaking scene, you know, that kind of stuff. Like, it's just um, 
just incredibly uh, adept how these sci-fi ideas were brought to life. Uh, Peter, go ahead. I know there's this cliche that you could take any frame from a movie and hang it on your wall. I really believe for this film yeah. mm-hmm. that is true. Like Agreed. every frame of this movie is so beautiful. Agreed. Agreed. Um, all right. Well, let's Avengers number three, Blade Runner 2049. All right. So my number three. So I had to like – I didn't want all of my movies to be big budget movies. You know what I mean? Because I was thinking like, yeah. okay, what represents my tastes over the last decade? And uh, I, I had to choose, like, I had to put something on the list that was like a smaller indie film, right? That's like, oh, this like represents like the indie film that could, you know? Like this represents like um, something that was made for very little money, very, very, very scrappy, but that was extremely impactful. And for me, that is... The Damien Chazelle movie Whiplash, uh, mm. which is my nice. number three movie of the year uh, of the last decade or so. That's from 2014. Here's what's amazing about Whiplash: number one, uh, J.K. Simmons puts in the performance of his career it has never been topped, or and likely never mm-hmm. will be, uh, of a, an extremely demanding music teacher. Uh, and this movie captures the inherent conflict of what that character is. Some character who is so demanding, right, that uh, he, he's basically psychologically abusing those people. Mm-hmm. But he's able to get results, right? And that there's some uh, fascination and uh, very frequently unfortunate fascination that society has with people who are assholes, uh, but who are nonetheless extremely skilled. And we've seen this again and again, and, and many of those people are being taken down these days, which is often a good thing. Um, but yeah, I mean that the, the you know I, I don't want to give away what happens at the end of the movie, but he has this like kind of monologue towards the end of the film where he talks about like why he does what he does, and it just felt like such a perfect summation of the inherent conflict of that character. Uh, it, it's an extremely memorable character, but not only that, uh, this movie brings to life kind of the joy of making music, right? That even, like, though it's incredibly difficult and music is is in many ways, like, disgusting. You know, like, there's, like, mm-hmm. saliva everywhere and there's calluses and dead skin all over the place and blood, you know, depending on, like, how you're, how hard you're hitting on those drums. Uh, physically, it can be, like, a fairly gross activity, um, but it is also, like, a extremely joyful and life-giving activity. And putting all those things aside, it has one of the most spectacular movie endings uh, that I've ever seen. Right? Like, oh yeah, love that ending. So I think memorable. about that often. Right. Like that whole yeah. sequence. Oh, the yeah. whole sequence is so masterful. And the idea that this was, I think, D- uh, Damien Chazelle's second film. I think mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he made it probably when he was like twenty-one years old. No, I'm just here. I don't know when how old he was, but he was like he was mid twenties. Mid twenties when yeah. he made it, and it's just like an incredible achievement. Um, so. For those reasons, I I think Whiplash is a great film. It's my favorite of his movies to this day. And uh, it's my third favorite film of the last decade or so. So I would just like to point out that the chat room right now is killing it. (laughs) Uh, When you said uh, J.K. Simmons' uh, performance that is the best of his career will never be topped – uh, Victor wrote, but enough about counterpart. Mm. And he, so he boomed go the dynamite you Indeed. in real time. He boomed me. He boomed you me. should, yeah, you should was, see counterpart. Yeah. That was just so great. Uh, and they are on fire. So I, I highly recommend, uh, you guys pay attention to this. The, the, uh, is, have you guys seen counterpart? Is counterpart good? 
Yes, I love Counterpart. I cannot stop talking about how much I love Counterpart, right. Dave. So you should it, probably go watch it. Yeah, right. yeah, go watch it, it. it. It's very good, and he's very good at, in it. But yeah. you need to subscribe to Stars. So that's uh, I don't know. <laughs> Pay for your content. As as we see, Dave loves paying for things, but doesn't actually watch them. How about yeah? Go pay for something, mm. you know, to to watch it. Yes, we're down to the top two, gentlemen. Let's let's get this done. Peter Serretta, your number two film of the last decade or so. By the way, Whiplash is the third Sundance film on this list, uh, mm. if for those counting. Uh, my number two film is a big one. It is Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Ooh, Ooh. Uh, nice. I am here today because of Star Wars. I have no doubt in my mind when you say you're here you mean you have a career in writing about films because of yeah films, right no it's yeah lucasfilm sent a limo over to yeah, take him they, here they, they called I an mean, uber I, for you to get your microphone yeah i live off their paychecks so <laughs> um no i uh, i have no doubt in my mind that slash film wouldn't exist this podcast right now that everybody's listening wouldn't exist um i love this franchise it like you know, it's on my T-shirts. It fills my walls. Um, I was so excited that they were going to be making more of these movies. And I know a lot of people like to criticize The Force Awakens for being a copy of A New Hope. But I think that was entirely the point. I think this the job this movie does on the surface level is recapture the magic of that original trilogy. And it does so in such a great, moving, powerful way. Um, it, you know, has those things, but also introduces characters that, you know, I love side by side with those characters that I grew up with. Um, this, uh, Ray's lightsaber battle with Kylo Ren might not be the Mm. best lightsaber battle in the franchise. It might not even be the best lightsaber battle of the new films, but uh, to me, it's like the most moving that shot of like Ray, like in the middle of that close up of her. It's just so powerful. This film is by you, you far mean like when they're when they're like swords are clashed. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Like, which you're, yeah like when they're like when he's like uh, about to, you know, dominate and then she like kind of finds the force within to like overcome him. Right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I, I, I just think it's like it's honestly the first human moment, I feel like, in any of those lightsaber battles. And um, I saw this film the most out of any films I saw during the time since the Slash Film cast started on the on the big screen and small screen. Mm. I've probably seen this film uh, three dozen times at this point. Wow. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I just uh, this is a film. That makes me emotional. Uh, it, uh, I don't know. It, it just has a, a place in my heart. And uh, even though I did like Star Wars, The Last Jedi, this film to me it represents to Star Wars more at its core. I'm not trying to start anything. <laughs> I, oh I uh, interviewed uh, my friend Bradley Dean King, who's seen, who saw Star Wars more than 20 times in theaters. I did that interview for SlashFilm.com. I remember talking to him. But yeah, this is a movie that. Uh, uh, has a lot going for it when it comes to delivering the goods uh, from a Star Wars perspective. I think it's certainly accomplished the mission of reinvigorating people's love for that franchise for a new generation. Uh, I think the, the the best thing it did was the casting of those characters. Yeah. I mean, yeah. J.J. has a gift when it comes to that. And these are, as Peter re- referenced, endurable, enduring, uh, wonderful characters you want to be around and yeah. hang out with. In, yeah. in the pacings nonstop, and it's like so rewatchable. Uh, there was other mm-hmm. films I 
could have put on this list that are probably as of you know because of the rewatchability. But I I just love this film. That's one thing JJ gets right in, in my opinion. Like watch any of his movies and you are never bored. From yep. my perspective, like every scene has something that is going to grab your attention and keep you paying attention. So he knows uh, how to hold an audience. Yeah. Like it's it's like a gift for him. Yeah, totally, totally. Uh, okay, so that's Peter's number two. Jeff Kanata, your number two film since the Slash Film Cast had its first episode. My number two film is Her. Wow. All right. Yes. Nice. Nice. Uh, There's I been like abs- no overlap on this list so far, pretty much, right? Like it's good, pretty incredible, yeah, pretty great. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I adore this movie. Again, it's a movie that uh, I constantly think about because of how prescient it seems to be, how uh, both of our time and forward thinking it is at the same time as we continue to have the evolution of AI in our lives and uh, voice activated everything, as I'm sure DaVinci can attest from just returning from CES <laughs> recently. Mm-hmm. Uh I think this movie is going to be even more and more relevant, but it is, it's beautiful. It's, it's, it has a big heart. It, it, its view of the world is unlike movies like it it has, it's optimistic and pessimistic at the same time, which is extraordinary. Um, I'm, I constantly think about this movie. It, It is in my mind all the time living in the 21st century uh, I think the performances are extraordinary. I think what it has to say, where it goes uh, as a love story, as a meditation on our modern life. Uh, it's my second favorite movie of the last 10 years, easily, Her. It's a great film. One of the things I really enjoy about the movie is the visualization of the future. It feels like like when the the character Theodore is walking and you see the background, right? You see like the future world. Mm-hmm. It feels like our world, but just like a little bit more advanced. Do you know what I mean? I just love yeah. the way the world building in that. It's movie. incredible. Yeah. yeah, the fashion uh, even yeah. is like. I'm not sure it, if the fashion is advanced. It's definitely something. <laughs> it's definitely different. different. Well, it's but it's 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 kind of smartly uh, retro, right? It, it yeah, seems yeah, to yeah. Come back, but but modern twists on them. I mean, I just. The movie is, is brilliant on mm-hmm. every level. This is one of the dozen movies that uh, actually have – I have five stars over that 10 years. So oh, this almost made my yeah. list. Wow. I was yeah. definitely considering this one too. Yeah. It is so – it's prescient, but I also think we're – it's not like Black Mirror, right? It is a very Black Mirror plot, but it's also like – it's really a movie about human connection and empathy and trying to love after you know, your heart's been broken. Well, to to this day, I mean, the thing that I actually appreciate most about it is the vision of uh, AI assistance in the future, right? Like we yeah, already like exactly we use our. I'm not going to say it, but um, the Amazon cylinder, like we have the cylinders all over the house, and we use them so much in this house. And you know, it's just like the first step of what is going to be depicted in that film, right? Which is the the assistant is smart; it knows, like, it can speak and converse like a human. Uh, we're like on the cusp of it, and that's like a full realization of it. And it's it's very exciting. I'll also say a very funny story about that movie, which is uh, I decided to put it on the TV the other day, and my wife went out to uh, I don't know she had to go pick up something from the store or something, and she just, she entered that like I play my movies like really loud to take advantage <laughs> of my Sonos sound system yeah, during the sex and scene. She, she yeah. en- no, not during not during the uh, not during the Scarlett Johansson sex scene during uh-huh, the. Uh-huh. 
during Kristen the Wiggins. phone sex scene, the Kristen Wiig yeah. phone sex scene, <laughs> where uh, they're having phone sex. He's having phone sex. This is very early in the film. And Kristen Wiig says, choke me with that dead cat. <laughs> really loudly. <laughs> <laughs> the, the dead cat by the bed, choke me with it. Um, and so she kind of entered the house right at that moment. And she just and left. She did a Grandpa Simpson, like, whoop. <laughs> yep, I had to, had to do a lot of explaining after that one. So, uh, well, that's Jeff's number two. It's her. Devinder Hardware, your number two film of the last ten years. My number two, I guess, follows right from Peter's. It's The Last Jedi. Whoa! Yeah. yeah. Two Star Wars movies at number two. Awesome. Two Star Wars movies. I, I, I was really debating which one, because even during our review of The Last Jedi, I said I walked out more amped from The Force Awakens. But I think a lot of that is due to JJ and just his ability to like really pump you up and do really well with like uh, set pieces. But Last Jedi is a movie I can't stop thinking about. It's meant so much to me. Like as the more I think about it and seeing the ripples it's had across the Star Wars community, like you know, there's been a lot of bad around the response to it. But I also think like that is that is good art. That is what art is supposed to do. It's supposed to like grab you by the shoulders and shake you up. And really make you reconsider what you're watching and really think about what you're watching. I think this movie, more than probably any other Star Wars movie, honestly, really thinks about this world and who these characters are and what they mean to each other and the things they're doing. It's not just a fight between good and evil. It is kind of something more. And I think this movie handles all that incredibly well, while also being a fitting send off to a lot of uh, the old crew as well. And I... I really got close to putting this movie on my list, and I I agree that it is, in my opinion, my opinion, uh, far superior to the Force Awakens, uh, and just an incredible. I cried throughout this entire and, movie. yeah, all yeah. three times I saw it in theaters, I cried the entire time. It's it's an amazing movie. And yeah. I guess also the personal side for me, uh, I I love Ryan Johnson. I've loved his movie since Brick. We've had him on the show, like. I feel like I've been following this guy since, you know, he was making indie movies that were self-financed and his mom was doing the catering. So seeing this thing, this immense creation, uh, one of the best works of like big budget pop culture, you know, ever uh, just, I don't know. It means a lot to me on that level too. Peter, yeah, I, 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 I love this film, but I feel like the whole Canto bite thing <laughs> <laughs> edged force awakens we're not we're not gonna we're not yeah, gonna, we're not gonna go there not I'm, not, I'm not criticizing i can, I can <laughs> tell you about star killer base and we don't want to do that <laughs> star killer base is fine but <laughs> Bite took took like a whole subplot of the movie i think uh when i think of star wars the last jedi i think of like all the extremely memorable visuals right the red throne room uh, and what happens uh, with snoke and you know ray getting that lightsaber the holdo maneuver going to light speed uh, uh, I think of the uh, uh, not the it's not snow, but that salt planet with the the planet coming alive with those streaks of red. You know, it, it's just extremely visual inventive. And not only that, the message of the movie yeah. is really powerful too. Like, it's it's rare when a movie can influence pop culture in that way that like everyone has heard that phrase. For, uh, uh, what is it? Um, uh, forget the past, kill it if you have to. Right? Like, yeah. and. It's the only way to become what you're meant to be. Like that's a, it's extremely memorable line that represents what this series is trying to do, and is is kind of a rallying cry for those that are trying to uh, get away from the forces that may dominate them. It's really a, a great work sounds, of art. Feels yeah. like a referendum on the Force Awakens, even uh-huh. uh, in some ways. Um, so but we'll see. Like we'll see how JJ is going to tie it all up next year. Um, yeah. yeah, but but to me, this film, and I don't, I hate to 
drag this out any further because I know we're going along. But it's <laughs> this is made, why we don't talk about Star Wars anymore. <laughs> I know it's made talking about Star Wars difficult and annoying, and I hate it now because anytime I talk about Star Wars, this movie gets brought up. And no matter what you think of this movie, if you think it's a masterpiece, I love the movie. But like, you can't even talk about Star Wars anymore. Like, it's because because of these because of this venomous fandom and because of what they think of this movie, it's destroyed it for me. Interesting. <laughs> it's not the I, movie's I, fault and screw those people. It's not the <laughs> movie's fault, but like it, it does for me, sadly, you know, rub off a little bit on the movie. Like it, like, mm. because I can't even, I can't geek out about this movie. For well, you any, can, you any... can, you can just like, don't do it publicly <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> or else they'll blow up your mentions. But but uh, let's celebrate the movie. Let's celebrate the movie, Peter. Okay, so I'm going to deliver our first repeat on this list, unfortunately. Okay. Um, which is uh, Alfonso Cuarón's Gravity, uh, which wow, Peter already named. Wow, number two. Yeah. That's, my, that's my number two. Uh, agreed with what you said. Like, I, I can't remember. I remember, like, you know, sometimes you have a, a theatrical going experience so vivid you remember it, right? You remember where you were. I remember, like, which theater I was in. It was the Regal Meridian in downtown Seattle. I remember which theater number I was in, like, from that day. And I remember just gripping my seat because yeah. everything was so tense uh, watching this movie. Uh, this is a movie that has a remarkable soundtrack and uh, or score and sound mixing because uh, it tries to simulate what it is actually like to be in space where you actually can't hear anything. But it has a score that kind of fills in for that sound. It's, uh, it's an incredible score that uh, I still think about. Uh, but I'm also extremely taken by how this movie was made. I mean... Uh, this was a few years ago, and it was not at all clear that what he was attempting uh, would work, right? A lot of the movie is CG. The vast majority is CG. And if you go and watch the special features on the Blu-ray, you know, they, ha- they have Sandra Bullock strapped into this thing that, like, moves her around uh, and, and, like, shines light into her face in different patterns so that it will match what is going on to, like, what is happening to her in the actual film itself. It's like an insane person uh, came up with this idea and, and and had to believe that it would work. And I remember reading an interview with Alfonso Cuarón saying, like, in the movie, they lose contact with Houston. And uh, George Clooney has to keep saying the phrase, Houston in the blind, you know, and then, and then say, like, what he's trying to say. Houston in the blind, like, we're approaching the spaceship, you know, like, Houston in the blind, this. And he's saying Houston in the blind because he's hoping that someone out there is listening to him. And in this movie, Gravity... Uh, he, Alfonso Cuarón was saying like he felt like he was like making this movie in the blind. Like he didn't know if it would work. He didn't know if people would like it, um, and it succeeded. He he took this leap of faith that this crazy idea, the crazy way of making the movie, making it mostly CG, long continuous shots like he did with Children of Men, that that would actually work and be believable, and he succeeded. Uh, and not only did he succeed, but the movie did very well. It made over seven hundred million dollars. So. Uh, I, I think it's a great movie, uh, great sci-fi, and one of the kind of best stories of a making of a film in quite some time. So, for that reason, Gravity is my number two. All right, so gentlemen, we are at number one. I, I'm kind of curious, like if we're gonna have the same number one. <laughs> like we're all gonna have the same number one, and it's gonna rhyme with core course. Um, no, I'm just joking. Um, yeah. <laughs> Peter Serretta, your number one film since the Slash Film Cast was released. Um, my number one film 
it's Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight. Mm. The uh, Dark Knight. This, uh, for me, was a game-changing film. It was, you know, obviously the first time that Hollywood kind of, or a filmmaker, I think, took comic books seriously. Or at least, no, I guess that's probably not right because Sam Raimi did that with Spider-Man 2. But he elevated it to a to something more than just kind of silly comic book movie. Academy Award um, nominated, right? Yeah, and well, it's yeah, it should have. Yeah, it changed the Oscars. Um, yeah. This is the second film on my list that... Uh, I think is there partially because of the cinematic experience it provided. Like I, I still think back to seeing that film in IMAX. Yeah. This is like, I know that there was other films that were in IMAX before that, but this was the first one that like, it felt like the theater was moving when you like that first pull in, in the bank heist sequence. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, I don't know. It, I, I just vividly remember that. I, uh, I love, how immersive it is i love how practical it is i love hans zimmer's score it, like which has been copied i i know actually i would i would actually say that the dark knight is probably the most influential film of the last decade sure uh, yeah. for good yeah. and bad i think a lot of like you know i think you look at Zack snyder's dc universe it's probably taking the yeah. bad lessons from that and you know other things are taking the good uh heath letter's performance is uh transcendent and uh, really one of the best villains in cinematic history. Yep, agreed. And uh, and you know what? I mean, it's also on this list because, heck, I got to see this at the junket screening with Kevin Smith, who at, <laughs> at the time was like, you know, one of my idols. Like I, he was a filmmaker that kind of got me into independent filmmaking. You know, Sundance was such a big part of my life. And get, getting to experience that with him and also with you guys on this podcast was just uh, incredible. Well, it's a really great choice for number one. And yeah, I mean, I, I wanted to ask you guys what you, know, what you think about this movie, but I'm curious if you put it at your number one. Um, did anyone put it at the number one? Davindra, is it your number one? You're going no, to no. have to wait and see, dude. Uh, Jeff Kanata. I was thinking about it. Um, wait and see, bro. Well, I, I, it's a great choice, and uh, it's certainly an exhilarating film, and seeing it in IMAX is yeah, a spectacular experience. Um, so great choice for number one, The Dark Knight. Jeff Kanata. You're number one? Schmavatar. No, I'm just kidding. It's not Schmavatar. Uh, it's <laughs> Mad Max Fury Road. Mm. Yeah. Um, Mad Max Fury Road. Is... Well, Jeff, I'm just gonna I'm gonna spoil this and just say like I also chose Mad Max Fury Road as my name. I also chose Mad Max. Yeah. Oh, I oh, wow. Oh, nice. I, I'm actually surprised that Peter didn't, but uh, <laughs> I thought for sure it was gonna be the quadfecta. Yeah. Um, but I'm glad it's the trifecta. Uh, it, I think you guys will agree that it is a perfect movie that literally there's not a frame of it to change in any way for any reason. Yeah. Uh, it is one of the most spectacular cinematic achievements. I talk about cinematic achievements. However many years it was in the making, this labor of love that just constantly outdoes itself with every second the story told through action, uh, a a female hero who is so intense and awesome that it moves the needle culturally on what women can expect of themselves and of the world. It is badass and balls to the wall and uh, some of the most insane stunt work and mm -hmm. 
action that you have ever seen. While it certainly does have its fair share of CG, so much of what you see are just human beings imperiling themselves for your entertainment. It is a perfect movie, and I think not just one of my favorite movies of the last 10 years, one of my favorite movies I have ever seen. Uh, I, I was bowled over by it. I remain bowled over by it. I, I think it's the best action movie ever made. Yeah, it's an impossible movie, too, because, like, it's had such a long production. Go watch the making a featurette for this thing, because they've been working on it since uh, I think uh, George Miller had the idea in the late 90s. They tried to do production at one point in the early 2000s, and, like, that didn't work out. And they had to shift production. They had to destroy a whole bunch of cars. It's insane. But, yeah, these are, you know, hundreds of people driving actual vehicles in the scorching desert. And it's just insane to me, first of all, that this movie, you know, exists and that they were able to do this. And also it is pure visual filmmaking. It is everything I love about action cinema. Every the, the entire story is pretty much told through action. And it's so well storyboarded and so well done all throughout. Like, yeah. A perfect movie. That's the best way to put it, Jeff. Yeah, I, I love this movie. I've seen it, I think, three times in theaters. I saw the original run. Uh, I saw uh, the, it again when it was re- like it was running at a film festival. And then I saw the Black and Chrome edition in mm-hmm. theaters as well. And I also own... <laughs> Three Blu-ray copies of this. I own the original. <laughs> I own the original Blu-ray. I own the black and chrome Blu-ray, and then I own the 4K as well. Yeah. Uh, just because, like, I, I don't feel like I can have too many copies of this film. It, you know, you guys have already said a lot of it. It's also one of the movies that I think uh, does an extremely good job of combining CG. It's like an exemplar yeah. of combining <laughs> CG and practical, right? Like. Uh, people talk about oh it's too CG like this is one of the movies that says that proves that like CG is not the problem it's how you use it right it's how yeah. you're able to combine the elements in a way that's extremely convincing if you're replacing practical effects completely with CG then yeah that's a problem if you're enhancing it then that's something else entirely the idea that you'd go into the desert and spend you know six months uh, with people doing these crazy ass stunts. And filming it from as many different angles as possible, and then piecing it together into a comprehensible film, uh, is mind mind blowing to me. You know, like- and at the same time, too, this movie is so socially relevant. It is saying a lot about the world today, about the rise of tyranny, about misogyny, and it does it all without without really preaching. I think it's just it is telling story, but I think it's so relevant to everything going on right now. I, I can't imagine why you'd think this. Um tyrant who treats women like objects uh taking <laughs> over taking over the world is relevant today mm-hmm. um, he's fat and but, disgusting and has uh has uh, pus oozing everywhere bad <laughs> hair and uh, uh treats himself and his and everyone around him like garbage who could that be <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't know who is it, is it justin trudeau is that who you're talking about um <laughs> so anyway i don't know where the parallels are Devendra, but you know apparently some people see it uh, but, yeah, but yeah, uh, it, it is relevant, and it's this this. Um, I remember, you know what I remember? Uh, uh, what movie comes to mind for some reason is Brad Bird's Tomorrowland, uh, and part of part of his complaints in that movie was like, oh, too many uh, too many movies show like the post apocalyptic hellscape. We need to make better movies. Uh, but the movie that came to mind was this one, right? Which feels like yeah. a potentially strikingly accurate depiction 
of our uh, post-apocalyptic future. Um, and uh, how, you know, the, the humanity is going to destroy itself, uh, the age of the nuke, and also climate change will just imperil mm-hmm. everyone. Um, but at the same time, this movie offers hope. Like, the idea that despite all that it has been through, all that it has seen, uh, life finds a way. Yeah. So, also, just a quick shout-out to George Miller. Like, this guy has already made some of the best action movies of all time you know road warrior and 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 that's even putting aside babe pig in the city right and also (laughs) babe pig in the city which is a tremendous movie uh but he is a master and then you know we we hadn't seen him around for a while he was trying to do a justice league thing didn't work out but to see him come you know back and show everybody like what he can do i think is astonishing today it's such like a hearkening back to old school filmmaking in ways that we've kind of forgotten in some action films today I will say this. I didn't have this film on my list, but I do agree that it has some of the best action out of the last 10 years of any film. Uh, I know this is going to come off a little bit hypocritical or whatever, but I feel, especially since I said gravity is one of my choices, but I feel like the story is a little too thin for me, but uh, I, I really enjoyed this movie. I just, didn't love 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 it was it one of your like top five or whatever that didn't make it into the list seven no oh no interesting i'm sorry you said that that for for me the the film is a little like like the story is a little thin i I just want to say peter i already wrote in the chat room uh people who say it has no imagination or has no story have no imagination really i said that before you said that uh okay i i I didn't even see you say that (laughs) and i'm not saying that it has no story i'm i just think I don't know. I, I, I guess I, I, I want things to have more to it, but I, I don't know. I, I guess I also had gravity on this list and I, yeah. I feel like this yeah. has the same amount of story as gravity. So Pretty I don't, much. Yeah. So it's uh, I don't know what I'm saying. I'm admitting <laughs> that I'm a hypocrite here, but uh, for some reason, for that reason, it for some reason didn't connect on, you know, the extreme, like this is the best film in the last 10 years level that it did I, with you guys. I will say I'm genuinely shocked that, Dark Knight only appeared on one of the lists. Yeah, that was surprising I, I took to me it off. as well. I had I, it I, on and I took it off for Logan. I really thought it was going to appear on all four lists. For I reason. did. I, yeah. I, yeah. It was on my short list, but it didn't. Make, it didn't make it. Yeah. I pretty much figured it would get enough love elsewhere, so it's like I'm going to talk about Logan. What I think is amazing, at least about like my list with you guys, Devendra and Jeff, is that uh, we had completely different movies for five through two. But then we knew we knew we could not get away from that measure. Right? Like it's just like we're like, hey, we can we can go out and play. We can go out and like have our little hall pass with the other movies. But at the end of the day, yeah, you're you gonna come, come home to Mama. You're gonna you come, come home, home to, to Max Fury Road, right? Like, <laughs> That's right. There's, like there's no getting away from how amazing that film is. So. Uh, that is just the way it's going to be here on the Slash Filmcast. Who knows what movies we're going to review in the next 10 years. So as we're get, coming to an end here, guys, if there's any closing thoughts you have on the first 500 episodes, now is the time to say them. <laughs> um, but I, I, I will say... You know what? I will say, they, Dave, they were ahead. a good sit. <laughs> they were a good sit. I agree. A good sit. The first 500 episodes of the Slash Filmcast. Dave, uh, I think since you guys missed 2007, which was a great mo- year in movies, you should time travel and do a whole uh, 
2007 yeah. podcast. Mm. Yeah. Good idea. Dude, I, I'm, I'm t- I mean, Children of Men is technically 2006, but I think I saw it in 2007 <laughs> and because it was like right at the end there, right. the weird like January, de- December release time. Uh, Children of Men, There Will Be Blood, No yep. Country for Old Men. Yeah, 2007 <laughs> – incredible we thought it would be that way forever guys we thought we thought it was it's always going to be this good you know um but uh yeah i i will say also just a few other things you know Dvinger, you alluded to it in your statements about the last jedi but today as we're recording this it was announced that dan trachtenberg has been declared as the new director of uh the uncharted film and that is crazy you know like dan and dan has been on the podcast a bunch of times um and just to see uh, Dan go from uh, being on the Total Rad Show to making Ten Cloverfield to now, you know, Uncharted, uh, is an incredible journey. And I, I, I just, something I just hope that the Slash Filmcast has been able to provide is like uh, be, that is that it has been kind of a mirror, like reflecting the glory of those that have like gone on to greater things. You know, uh, the glory of people like Dan and of um, Ryan Johnson and Joseph Kahn and all the people who have like. Um, made, made increasing... a pit stop here on their way to, <laughs> yeah. to mega success. That's right. That's right. You know, just like just like uh, that, we on the podcast like have a chance to like experience uh, uh, these people's work and and talk to them about it and uh, kind of glimpse them. You know, it's like we're looking through a like looking at a piece of paper through a straw. You know, like you're you're glimpsing these people at their these very micro moments in their lives, and it, it, there is something very boyhood esque to quote. Peter's uh, number uh, four choice about that, you know, that like, hey, you're seeing this person once and they, they made a short film. You're seeing this person again three years later and they made a feature film. You're seeing this person again and they're making one of the biggest films in the world. Yeah. Uh, and that's something I think that has been really special that I will always cherish about uh, the last 500 episodes of the show. I I seriously considered putting 10 Cloverfield Lane on my on my list simply because of what it meant yeah. to yeah. me to, you know, just the, the, just the idea of dreams coming true and watching my friend achieve the thing that not only he always dreamed about, but every moment of his life bent toward that goal. I had never seen anybody more prepared, more focused, more driven than Dan to do exactly what he's doing now. And it, it's inspiring. It's, uh, heartwarming. It's, uh, it's, it's incredible to see. And, uh, so yeah, I, I, I considered actually putting that on my list. I felt it was a little maybe too inappropriate or too homery, you know, but, uh, man, it's great yeah. to see. I'll, I'll also Same say, here. And, and I'll also say that like, uh, Devendra and I've talked about this before. I, I don't think the, the site, like, I think, you know, you, I, I, I believe that you, Jeff and Peter, like that the Slash Filmcast has been like a positive force in your life, you know. But I think for for Devendra and I, it has had like a life altering impact, right? Yeah. Is that fair to say? Like that we wouldn't yeah, have the careers that we have today if it wasn't for the Slash Filmcast. Um, I wouldn't have launched the Tobolowski Files or Cast of Kings, and 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 also like just like gotten some of the jobs i've been able to get because of yeah. the work on the show right and i probably wouldn't have moved to new york if uh yeah if i wasn't doing this this is kind of the first step to getting here yeah so as i think through you know what we're going to do in a moment is we're going to close this episode with 
more voicemails. So we're just going to have voicemails play us out a little bit. Um, but as I think through the impact that the podcast has had on people's lives, uh, it is undeniable the impact that the podcast has had on, on our lives as well. You know, that it has, it has inexorably altered our lives, like set us on paths uh, for good and ill, you know, that, uh, that we're currently on. <laughs> and uh, I find that very gratifying, and uh, I'm grateful for everyone who has been a part of it. So if there's yeah, anything that you take away, it's that I'm grateful and appreciative for it. Jeff, go ahead. Oh, I, I, so say we all. You know, it, it is, mm-hmm. uh, it's amazing to see the outpouring from people on this occasion and to know that this little thing that we, you know, spend a couple of hours chatting, you know, which in our own little – isolation, you know, rooms, I'm, I'm in the dark, you know, talking into a microphone with some people who are literally hundreds and thousands of miles away, respectively. Uh, and that, that can mean something to people. Like we heard little 10 year old Katie's voicemail a while back in the show, her lifetime, like her, her parents. She has never known an age without the slash film case. <laughs> exactly, and it's and crazy. her, you know, her father spoke to her about the fact that it was a soundtrack through her entire upbringing, and that is that is humbling uh, on a level I I can't even express. It's it to to feel like you're part of people's lives is it's hard to even wrap your head around, but it is a, a wonderful, heartwarming feeling that. Um, that is a privilege and we, I'm, I'm, I'm echoing your, your gratitude and, uh, to say thank you for all of you that take the time to listen to us, even if you listen at a, at a faster speed. Oh man. Even if you listen at a faster (laughs) speed. Oh, we got so many confessors. Yeah. Saying they listen at a faster speed. It's the only time you're going to hear me say, I'm, I'm grateful for you too, because I, I do think you're monsters, (laughs) but, but I'm also grateful for you. So thank you. Well, let's wrap it up, folks. This episode was edited and produced by Beatty Zhang from Adamsco Studios and me, David Chen. Theme song comes from adamwarrock.com. Our Slash Film Court song, which we didn't use today, but we use sometimes, comes from simonmharris.com. And our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. Find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. And next week, we'll be discussing M. Night Shyamalan's comeback. Comeback? Question mark? Movie? Glass? Nothing wrong. Ca- nothing could go wrong with this. Comeback? Basically. Question mark? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, that's all for this week's episode of Slash Filmcast. To play us out, here are a few more of your heartfelt voicemails. Thank you so much for 500 episodes. We'll see you next week. Hi, Dave, Devinder, and Jeff. My name's Sean. I'm from London. I'm a black cab driver. Sean the Cabby on Twitter. I've had a few chats with, with Devendra. Just like to uh, congratulate you on the 500 episode. Just to say that if it wasn't for the podcast, I would have. I tweeted you this the other day. I wouldn't. I would have never in a million years watched films like Roma, Crazy Rich Asians, Searching, or The Favorite, and many others. And absolutely loved all of them. So I would have missed out on all them. And I also like the way it comes across on the podcast that you are really great mates and you know you're not afraid you you can praise films but you're not afraid to uh, also rip into films as well which is the podcast informative as always i always really look forward because uh, i do listen to a lot of podcasts driving 
and I always really look forward to uh, out of all of them the film cast coming coming through. So just one question for Jeff, Jeff, the Cockney accent man, are you related to Dick Van Dyke, Governor? Because it was outstanding. Anyway, lads, uh, all the best and well done. Keep up the good work. And here's to another 500. Bye. Hi, guys. Uh, my name is Luis Salinas. I am a film and television producer from Mexico City. I actually live in the neighborhood Roma where the film was shot and it's named after. I, I studied film several years ago and since have become very involved in every little aspect of uh, not only making a film but actually developing it and and releasing it. Uh, so I am very much involved in every little atom of what makes a film a film. Unfortunately, what I discovered in my case is that when you get so technical in detail as I do, you sort of lose the essence and, and the magic and, and you lose oversight of just enjoying a film for what it is. It wasn't until I started listening to your podcast that I could truly admit that I learned to watch movies again. You, your opinions, your, your insights, your vast vocabulary and all the many, many, many adjectives you guys use to describe every little aspect of a film allowed me to see movies as I did back when I was in school or even when I was a kid. So this not only helped me in my ongoing watching movie experience, but in my job. Uh, so I am in debt to you guys, and I thank you ever so much for this. It will not soon be forgotten. Congratulations on your 500th episode, and I certainly hope to be there for the 1,000th. Congratulations. Hey guys, user Kuriyama, super fan here. Um, I have heard every episode of the Slash Filmcast. Uh, you know, I've probably missed a couple of reviews uh, because of movies I haven't seen yet, although I often watch movies entirely based on the fact that you guys review them. I've been listening. I think my first episode was episode nine uh, for The Dark Knight with Kevin Smith, and that made me want to go back and check out all the episodes before that. And uh, I've been on... Uh, that was... Yeah, it was 2008, and I've been on the ride ever since, uh, and I couldn't, you know, thank you guys enough, because uh, you guys are literally the number one podcast on my podcast rotation, you know, like, before anything else, before Radio Lab, Freakonomics, This American Life, you name it, whatever, if there is a new episode of the Slash Filmcast, that is the number one thing I always listen to, um, even if I have to pause it before the review because I haven't seen the movie yet. Uh, but anyways, guys, uh, you, you know, uh, it, it's, uh, it, it's f I can't believe it's been 500 episodes and I hope you guys do 500 more at the very least, uh, because if you guys went away and, uh, stopped the show, uh, I, I would genuinely be distraught. Like, I don't know what I would do with myself. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's such an, um, such a big part of my week. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll be forever grateful. Uh, hugs to you all, and uh, looking forward to what's next. Hey, Dave, Devendra, and Jeff. Dang of Osden here. You remember, we talked about Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse a few weeks ago. When Dave mentioned you were approaching the 500th episode of the Slash Filmcast last week, I could hardly believe it. Have I really listened to that many episodes of this fabulous show? It got me thinking about where it all started and how I can't remember the exact moment 
when I first started listening to the show. I know the details of it. I was drinking sangria in a New York patio bar, and a filmmaking friend of mine recommended I check out a podcast called The Watchers. I didn't think much of the suggestion, but when I got home, I remembered The Watchers and booted up the first episode. Conveniently, about Spider-Man 3, and the hosts, David, Devendra, and Adam, I'm sure you guys know them well, disappointment in the movie. In your show, I was surprised to find intellectually presented opinions about the subjects I loved and a unique feeling of peer-like joy that I felt had been missing through much of my college education. To quote Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, the idea rushing through my mind was, you're like me. When several months later it was time for me to graduate from college, I learned the Watchers would be graduating as well. You had been picked up by Slash Film and were rebranding the show to become the Slash Film cast. I didn't know what this meant, but Kevin Smith was joining in, and who wouldn't tune in for that? But like most people, podcasts were the least of my worries in 2008. With the crash of the stock market and the beginning of the Great Recession, there were few jobs available in New York to a recent graduate. Dozens of applications a day, several interviews a month, and no luck landed me in a long bout of unemployment and depression. Yet that's when the Slash film cast took on more meaning in my life. The weekly show became like a check-in from friends, a sort of lifeline to pick me up from the rejection I was facing in my life. I picked up a job at Midtown Comics, but my mind was always on your show, the Slash film cast, and all the awesome discussions going on there. I would literally rush out of work in Times Square and go straight to the closest theater and afterwards to Kim's video in St. Mark's Place to check out all the titles you were recommending. So when I unexpectedly found myself back in my hometown of Maryland, away from the rich culture of cinema I had grown to expect, the show, and in particular Dave's perspective on how to talk and think about movies critically, got me to pick up my pen and microphone for the first time. As a struggling English student my entire life, writing didn't come naturally to me, but I focused on how I would respond to your dialogues on the show, and it quickly pushed me to find abilities that I never knew I had. Within a month or two, I got picked up to be a regular film critic for several papers, started a few unsuccessful podcasts of my own, and after years of work, even co-hosted a television show. But despite those successes, in the back of my mind, the whole time was the Slash Filmcast and how I felt when listening to the show. My life has taken a few twists and turns over the years, which have allowed me some fun things like writing for The Village Voice and now for The Hollywood Reporter, which saw me publish a number of pieces on Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. This is all a way of saying that you guys, the hosts of the Slash Filmcast, had and continue to have a huge impact on my life and the life of many other people. In its own small way, by opening up a space for conversation between friends, it created a spark that lit my fuse in a way that I needed. It may not have saved my life from any physical danger, but it certainly did in a more existential way. Now things have come full circle. I started listening to the show as you guys talked about Spider-Man 3, and now I had the greatest honor to guest host the show to talk about Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. It was an absolute blast and a lifelong highlight, and I think it's safe to say, you're like me. Thanks for the inspiration, Slash Filmcast, and here's to 500 more glorious episodes. I'm dying for more banjo, bleff, spaghetti in a bag, limericks, avatars continue continued lack of cultural relevance, the movie club that dare not speak its name, Dave's love of Warhorse, and Devendra's love of Chappie. Never forget the impact that you have on your listeners and the world of cinema. Hello, Slash Filmcast, and congratulations on 500 episodes. This is Aaron Newworth out in Laguna Hills, California. I've been listening to you guys since way back when you were still the Watchers, uh, and then I'm quickly still around. Lots of memories, including some old running jokes, such as Dave preferring the mummy Tomb of the Dragon Emperor over the Dark Knight, or the days when Ryan Johnson would come along and make fun of Dave. Um, yeah, no, it's been a great hearing a variety of different opinions from you guys over the years when it comes to a variety of different films that have come out, um, and seeing how things have changed for all of you over time. 
when it comes to jobs and family, which is, of course, very exciting. I've been happy to meet a number of you guys. I, uh, I see Jeff frequently at screenings and always happy to talk to him. I even had him on the podcast once. I've had Devendra on my podcast as well. I've interacted with Dave over Twitter. So yeah, just, uh, just great that you guys have kept this thing going. You've always had a very friendly tone in all of this, and it's always been a lot of fun to listen to. So I wish you guys luck in continuing on with this uh, wild venture. Hello, Slash Filmcast. This is Justin Vactor here in Phoenix, Arizona. Just wanted to wish you guys a very happy 500th episode. This is my favorite podcast of all time. Every single episode has been good. Never been a bad episode. Not one single one. And the consistency, the high level of quality that you guys have put out for so many years, going all the way back. I'm a Slash Filmcast zombie from way, way back. Um, way back to the Watchers podcast, where I met some kindred souls in Mr. David Chen and Devinder Hardwar. We've laughed, we've cried, we've grown old together. Um, we've just had so many good times, guys. I, I think that you guys have put out the best podcast. And the fact that I can still say that you're my number one favorite all these years later, just a testament to all the the hard work that you guys put in and did a great job. Um, also want to say great, fantastic work, Mr. Adam Quigley, Mr. Jeff 2Ns1T Kanata, um, everyone who's guested all over the years, um, every single person who's ever been on the Slash Filmcast, I love everything you've ever done. So keep up the great work. Here's to 500 more. And on the 1000th episode, I'll leave you another one. All right, signing off. Hey guys, this is Danish from Chicago. I really wanted to take the time to record this to thank you for a decade of great shows. You know, when you listen to a show for that long, there's this really interesting side effect of being able to look back and chart your own life through the show. It was 10 years ago, I was listening to the review of the now classic Mummy Tomb of the Dragon Emperor uh, when I was working in IT and I was walking to night school so that I can get a degree in animation to break into the entertainment industry. Six months later, I was listening to the Watchmen episode while working on my first big title sequence for television. I listened to the Trick or Treat episode while making a midnight run to the store to get formula for my newborn daughter. And then more recently, I was listening to the Arrival review while moving into my new house which, by the way, to this day is one of your most moving, unforgettable reviews. So thank you again for all the joy you've provided these last 10 years. And here's to 10 more. Hi, guys. My name is Caroline Lawrence, and I thought I'd take the occasion of your 500th show to say thanks for all the joy your cheerful podcast has given me over the past decade or two. I think it's fair to say yours is my favorite podcast of about 25 that I regularly listen to. I always look forward to it dropping, and I either listen to it first or save it as a treat. And probably like many others out there, we mean to thank you, but keep forgetting or getting distracted. I'm a children's writer who grew up in California, but I live in London, and I do a lot of walking. I love movies more than almost anything, plus golden age of television. So your podcast is perfect for giving me lots of new ways to procrastinate. But seriously, you guys genuinely bring joy into my life. And for that, I thank you. Keep up the great storytelling. Milk is full of tiny reasons to be joyful. Just listen. 
Hmm, can't help but feel it's lacking something. That's because milk exposed to indoor light only has a fraction of the vitamins and nutrients our bodies were hoping for. This, though, this is milk from an Aluma-certified light-protected bottle. That's more like it. To step into the light, the bottle's gotta be right. Search lightdamagesreal.com.